Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Kohler at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. Hey, warmer from Evo! Welcome to Bluffy Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. Joining me in segment number two, it's Nick Lawrence, and he does great work over at Mid Major Madness. And we're going to be talking about some of the Mid Major teams that have been catching his eye. Top of that, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the strangeness that we've seen in conference. We've been seeing a lot of blows. We've been seeing a lot of high-scoring games. So we're going to flesh that out a little bit, take a look at a few games for Tuesday with him as well. And then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're up a fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did get in one question today. I know that it was involving a game in which the spread was at two and a half. Person was wondering if I would recommend buying the half a point down to two at minus 125 juice. And the reason why I say no is, for one, if you buy down the game from two and a half to two, that only means if the game lands two with regards to the team that's laying two winning, you'd still only get a push. You would not be getting an outright win, so that would be a sway of one unit. That would not be a sway of two units. And for two... Your hit rate, if you do go from a minus 110 to a minus 125, you have to go from winning 52.38% of games in order to break even to 55.5%. And that's just something that I can't advocate for just because even with a number of like two, three, four, there just, in my opinion, aren't enough games that land on that number for it to be worth it. And plus, even if a game does land on that number, if the team has favored by two, loses by two, well, that still becomes a loss as well. So in my opinion, there's just aren't enough games to fall on this number and I do think that always trying to lay more of the minus 110 juice is what I recommend. That's a big reason why I don't go into live betting too much as well and I was asked about that
bet. And for one, if you are going to be looking at live bet, I think the biggest thing that I can recommend is be focused on one or a very, very small select amount of games. If you're trying on a college basketball Saturday where there's 150 games and there's like 30 games going on, you don't have your attention on one or two games, it's very, very difficult to do. You're not getting a full gauge as to what's going on. And for two, when you do live bet, typically you're going to be laying more of a minus 115 in some shops it's even become a little bit greater, which that's a bit rough to say the least, rather than a minus 110 as well. So you're going to be paying an added tax for that as well. So I do think that that's biggest recommendations for live betting, even though I personally, I do everything really prior to games just because typically when games are going on, that's when I'm recording this fine podcast and that's when I'm getting to work on the future today's handicap. So that is why I really don't dive into that a whole heck of a lot, but hopefully that was some helpful advice for you and always do fire in those questions. I love answering them for you. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw on Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Well, unfortunately, we took back-to-back losses on the DK Network write-ups. We're still at 45-32, and 32, and you figured there was going to be a little bit of regression, but man, the Eastern Christian team that entered into the night shooting 26.6% from three-point range went 7-11 from three and 58.5% from the floor as New Orleans goes down 88-80. to 80. New Orleans takes 21 more shot attempts. They win the offensive rebound battle 22-8, to 8, and it's not like the free throw discrepancy was too bad. New Orleans takes 22 free throws. Houston Christian takes 27. Just a case where Houston Christian got absolutely hot. You had a guy in Pierce Basil who was shooting 11% from three-point range coming off the bench and go 3-5 of five from three-point range. Marcus Green went 3-3 three of three from three-point range. Man, this was just a little bit of a rough one to say the least. So we will look to bounce back on those on Tuesday. And I do have to record this a little bit in advance. A Greg Peterson experience that is from midnight to 3 Eastern time, Pacific time. That'd be 9 to midnight. So I'm doing this more around 7-10, 7-15. And we're at the half between Kansas and Cincinnati. That is a game that is tied up currently 35 to 35. Kansas was able to go 4 of 10 from three-point range in the first half and won the turnover battle 10 to 7, but right now it's keeping Cincinnati afloat off the bench. Dan Skillings Jr., 14 points. Very, very good first half, so we shall see what happens in that game. We already know what happened in North Carolina, and for the Tar Heels, they took a two-wake force. 85 to 64, the final wake force just could not hit the broadside of a barn. 3 of 20 from three-point range. Jamari Monsanto went 2 of 7 from distance. That means the rest of the team went 1 of 13 from three-point range. North Carolina, by the way, now a top 30 team in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and R.J. Davis 36 big points in this one. Armando Bacot only had 5 points and 7 rebounds, and North Carolina still dominated this game, so that was rather impressive. And though Baycott has not had quite the same numbers as he's had in past years, he's honestly been a little bit of a better player thus far this season as well. So it's been so interesting to take a look at him being a little bit more of an ancillary piece, him just doing a lot to be able to aid in winning in general. And a team out there in the Southland that has been able to make you a lot of money all year long is Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And they cover against McNeese as about five, five and a half point home underdogs as this was a final of 62 to 61. And for Corpus Christi, they were running and hiding with this game. They were up 18 points in the second half. They completely collapsed down the stretch, but for McNeese, they also cost themselves the cover because they went 13 of 23 at the free throw line. Texas A&M Corpus Christi goes 17 of 27 at the free throw line. It's a Corpus Christi team that, by the way, is now 11 and 4 against the spread and now 11 
unders and four overs. So this has been very much a defense-oriented team for McNeese. They win the eternal battle by a count of 15 to 12 to be able to lift themselves to victory. And TJ, turn it up, Richards. Once they able to give the team 12 points. So McNeese, they survive, they advance, they stay undefeated out there in the Southland. And when it comes to the Southland, you've also got a team that's been not so great against the spread in Southeast Louisiana, who got it done 71 to 62 against Northwestern State, a Demons team that I figured they were going to regress a little bit after their main outburst that we saw a few nights ago. And for Southeast Louisiana, 24 of 29 at the free throw line and being able to win the turnover battle was able to lift them to victory. You saw Colgate get a win, but no cover against Lehigh by a count of 60 to 57. Colgate, the consensus favorite out there in the Patriot League to come away with that conference, but it's been a little bit strange for them this far this season. Lehigh is now 10 and 6 against the spread for Lehigh. 4 of 23 from 3 par range. They were once again without their top scorer, Keith Higgins, but they've got Tom Perlin back in the fold. He was able to come off the bench for a double double, and Colgate just not the same three point shooting team that they've been in past years. They go 8 of 30 from 3 par range, so a little bit of an issue there. Another game that's going on as I record this Mississippi Valley State currently trailing 39 to 30. Five at the half. This one is about to go finals. Alcorn State, they are going to cash it over for you against Prairie View. Right now, they are up 16 points with about four and a half minutes remaining. They should be able to get there against a Prairie View team that they have really been all over the place out there in the swag. It's a Prairie View team that entered into the night against the spread 7 and 8, and Elkhorn State just 6 to 10 against the spread, but it looks like they're going to get there. Arkansas Pine Bluff has really been your fate out there in the swag. They entered into the night 3 and 10. Currently at the half, they're up by a count of 37 to 32. They were laying about a point and a half, so we shall see if they're able to build off of that, but they've been one of your most fateable teams in all of college basketball, and right now a team has been very much a strange one to be able to handicap to say the least as well in Montana State. It's taking it to Idaho State. As I record this, 48-31 to 31 out there in the big sky. It's been a Montana State team that has already an outright win against Cal on the resume, but they entered in the night just 5-10 and 10 against the spread for this Montana te- State team. They have been a little bit rough with their three-point shooting, but they started out shooting north of 61% from the floor against an Idaho State team that, while they play slowly, they have been very inefficient as well. So, we didn't necessarily have a rambunctious night of college basketball on Monday, but something that we are going to be talking about with Nick in the next segment is all these overs that we're seeing in college basketball. If you look at the last seven days in college basketball, with a few results pending for Monday, 182 overs to 129 unders. That is a 58.5% hit rate to the over, with home underdogs really struggling right now. 42, 56, and 2 against the spread over the last seven days. That's just a 43% hit rate as Away teams in general are currently covering north of 54% of games over the last seven days, so that has been of real intrigue. And if you take a look overall at this college basketball season, it's been a bad one for home underdogs. 389, 398, and 15 against the spread. Wolvers are hitting at 52%, 1596, and 1476. So that's where we're seeing college basketball right now, and that's what we got from a brief college basketball Monday. And coming up next, we're going to be talking about what we've all been seeing in conference play. Some of these mid-majors have been able to rise up and so much more with Nick Lawrenson of Mid-Major Madness right here on Clips Ghost with myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Music Family Podcast. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds you know, the basketball nerds. They're like, you know, you know, watch Creighton. 
they play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, just I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> 
Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my dance, bro. <laughs> Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Always great to be joined by this man as Nick Lawrence and he does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball over there at mid-major madness. I know that he is hard at work over at Queens NC trying to get this team to be able to ascend in the Atlantic Sun as they're making that transition to the Division One level. Nick, he does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at a little bit of everything, everything from the top teams all the way down to the low slash mid-majors. And you're able to follow him on Twitter slash X at N Lawrence in Sports. My name is spelled L-O-R-E-N-S-E-N all together at Nick. Great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, thank you. Always love hopping on here. It was an interesting week of hoops. First of all, for Queens, tough week in Jacksonville. But when we look at the mid-major landscape, Mountain West got wild again. Memphis dropped two games. There's a couple teams really separating themselves from the pack in their mid-major conferences as we're maybe two, three weeks in now, and they're still undefeated. Hold one or two game leads over other teams. So we're seeing teams really ascend and become the best they can be at this point. There's a couple leagues such as the SOCON or or the CAA where there's a couple teams that have just shown that they're maybe better than the rest of the pack. It is really interesting to take a look at this landscape. And you were alluding to it. Who are a few teams that really come to mind that have been able to ascend, that have been able to separate, that you've been very impressed by? Yeah, one Sanford. I mean, they have the longest win streak in the country right now. I believe it's at 17 after starting 0-2 on the season against two Power 5 teams, one being Purdue, which has been the top team in the country for much of this season. But that offense, we've been talking about it for a long time. Bucky Ball, he'll put up tons and tons of points. He's doing it against the top teams of the league. He did it against Western Carolina last week, a week and a half ago at this point. They played VMI. They should have dropped maybe 160 points in that game. I believe they only dropped about 120, 130, 140. But they had 70, 75 points at halftime. That's just a great offense. And They've really shown maybe this is the year that they can get over the hump, win the SOCON, because they've been either co-regular season champions or right behind, and they fall out early in the SOCON tournament. They're showing that this team's for real. Another one really is Akron in the MAC. You know, Enrique Freeman's there. Aliyah Lee's back after all the waiver stuff went through, and all the two-time transfers are now allowed to play. He's been an insane impact. I believe they've only lost one game since he's, since all that's went through with NCAA. 
they're looking pretty solid against this MAC competition. They went to Kent State and they beat them on Friday in a big rivalry game a week or two before that. They beat their biggest threat, in my opinion, in the league, Bowling Green, by a couple points. Another one that really comes to mind is Drexel. I mentioned the CAA a little bit earlier. They're just so solid all around. And Amari Williams is a legit NBA prospect. I mean, he's a great defensive player. The last two years, he's won Defensive Player of the Year in the CAA. And now they have a two-game lead over everyone else in the CAAs. Charleston went 0-2 last week. Wilmington already had two losses. They're 4-2 as well. There's a couple threats. You know, Drexel has a big game this week at Towson. If they drop that, it will become wide open again. But if Drexel beats Towson this week... I find it hard for the Dragons not to win the CAA this season. Yeah, with Drexel, it's been really interesting to look at them because their offense was completely dormant at the beginning part of the season. Now they've really been able to ascend with that regard, as Nick Lawrence, who does great work over at Mid-Major Madness, is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And if I remember correctly, you guys over there at Queens partook in a multi-team event that did involve Drexel. And what do you see from them then as opposed to now? Because this has been one of those teams I feel like has had one of the biggest reversals all season long in that they were very defense-oriented. They weren't really putting the ball in the bucket at the beginning part of the season. Now they've been go- able to go off for like 75-plus points in four of their last five games. It's really been remarkable. Yeah, it really has. I mean, their tempo is bottom 10 in the country. They're 352nd in the country. But going into CAA play, I remember watching that Hampton game on New Year's. They're just like, this team really can't eclipse more than 70 points. The only time they eclipse more than 71 points in a non-conference game was against Winthrop. And that was 74. Or Bryant. They scored 86 against Bryant in the final game of non-conference play. But before that, the only time they scored more than 71 was 74 against Winthrop. And then you look at the first seven games of conference play, 99 points against Hampton, 78 points against Wilmington, 77 against William and Mary, 89 against Elon, 78 against Monmouth, and 86 against a good Delaware team. It really was a defense-oriented team. They still have a really solid defense. They're 98th in the country. But that offense is really taking a rise, 115. Like I mentioned, Amari Williams, he is one of the best big men in mid-major basketball. You have players like Mate Okrus, who's been pretty big off the bench for them. Justin Moore's a go-to guy. He ranks 115th in the country in percentage of possessions. A lot of the possessions come between him and Amari Williams there. But you have those two. You have Okers, who's taken a big step. Even Yame Butler, who's kind of come back into form after a maybe not-so-great season last year. His minutes, they thought that maybe he'd take a bigger role coming over from Fordham. But he's taken that bigger role. He didn't play last game against Monmouth. But I didn't think heading into CAA play, Drexel was the team to beat. Now they're the team to beat. They have a chance this week to really distance themselves from everyone else if they're able to go into Baltimore and beat those Towson Tigers. We up with the Towson Tigers. They have really been able to rise up this season as well as they've been playing some tremendous defense. And it was a little bit bumpy for them to begin the season, but they've been able to do a nice job here in the last few weeks. As joining me on the show, we do have Nick Lawrence and who does tremendous work over at Mid-Major Madness joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And I know another conference that you've been taking a look at is the Atlantic 10. And with the Atlantic 10, we're going to be seeing a lot of these teams in action on Tuesday. I want to see how UMass looks, whether or not Matt Cross is going to be in the fold. That's something that we're going to need to identify as well. But what have you seen out of an A-10 that there were a lot of teams that if they had a big A-10 season, they might be able to ascend into that at-large conversation. But it almost feels like it's been a bit of a disaster for this conference and that everyone's just beating up on everyone else. 
Yeah, every year it feels like that with the eights. And, you know, I still think I know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they should do better with scheduling a non-conference. But that might be the reason why we see, like, heading into conference play, five teams that were really highly touted. Now there's maybe one, maybe two, because all those teams that were supposed to be good with the exception of Dayton have really struggled to begin conference play. I mean, George Mason's 3-3, three and three, St. Bonaventure's 2-3, and three, St. Joe's is 2-3. Duquesne is 0-5. They keep losing these games close. But that's also allowed a team like Richmond, who did play quite a tough non-conference schedule and dominated teams that maybe weren't on the same level as they were, start 5-0. They have a huge game against Dayton this weekend. If they're able to beat George Washington and Dayton's able to go into the always tough Tom Gola Arena and beat LaSalle Tuesday night, we could have a 6-0, 6-0 matchup at 6 o'clock. On Saturday evening, we also had Loyola Chicago, who had a really, really tough non-conference schedule. And I remember when they played FAU in the first game of the year. This team brings in a lot of great big men transfers. I think that they're going to be really good this year. And I'm happy that they're off to a 5-1 start. You know, last year I thought maybe it would be their year under Drew Valentine, his second year at Loyola Chicago. But he's really come into form his third year coaching this team. We've seen VCU come more into form. But it's just a league that cannibalizes itself. And the only real way I see this league at this point getting two bids is if Dayton maybe loses no more than three games in the league and then loses in the conference championship. It's really a completely different league from a couple of years ago when it just seemed like every season it was going to be a three-plus bid league. Yeah, it is a very much different tenor, and I do think that this Atlantic 10 is a very, very good conference, but at the same time, man, it was one of those cases where you needed St. Joe's to rack up a few wins. Duquesne being like dead last in the conference coming into the week as well, that's been brutal as well. So it has been really interesting to take a look at and. When it comes to taking a look at the Big 12, that's another very interesting conference. We're going to be seeing a whole bunch of those teams on Tuesday as well. What have you made out of it seeming like nobody on the Big 12 is able to win on the road? Because it feels like it goes back to something that we've talked about all year and that added travel with a lot of these conferences that have realigned. It is going to be taking it out of these teams. And I think that the Big 12, we're seeing it in their conference, really more so than any other conference in the country right now. Yeah, just wait until next year when we have the Big Ten and teams have to travel to Washington and Oregon. These Big 12 teams, it's obviously the toughest league in the country to begin with. There's so much talent, 1 through 14 in this league. But yeah, you have to add in that travel. And sometimes there are later games in the day. There's a lot of 9 o'clock games here. So you got to sit around all day at the hotel. You play on a Tuesday or Monday night. Even a Saturday stinks. But if you're on a Tuesday night at 9 o'clock and you have to sit around at the hotel, you can't leave until maybe 6, 6.30 the time. Because there's, of course, an hour difference. It sucks. And I mean, we've seen it at the top of the league. Maybe it wasn't exactly who we thought with Texas Tech and Kansas State. We know that Kansas State made the Elite Eight last year and they're well coached, but they struggled in non-conference for the most part. I mean, they squeezed out a lot of games against teams they shouldn't have been squeezing out games against. They have one of the worst adjusted offensive ratings in the league, but they're 4-1. and one. They're 4-1. and one. Houston had that two-game losing streak. They look like the clear favorite them in Kansas really heading into the season, but they're both three and two. This travel is just going to get more difficult and more difficult. And as time goes on, obviously, the mental strain 
of the travel and of the school year and of the college basketball season will just get to them. I feel like we're only seeing the beginning of the worst for some of these teams on the road. When it comes to hitting the road in the Big 12, man, it has been very, very difficult for all these teams. And we shall see if that continues on Tuesday. As joining me on the show, we've got Nick Lawrence and he does such tremendous work over at Bay Man, it's joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And I do want to get your thoughts on one of those games that we are going to be seeing on Tuesday, because in my opinion, the game of the night is BYU versus Houston. A Houston team that has been tremendous just all throughout the Kelvin-Samson era, locking down on defense. But now, I was talking about the travel. You have to go from Texas to Utah, and you have to face off against a BYU team that, though it hasn't been against the world's greatest competition, their metrics have been absolutely insane. What do you make out of a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, heading into conference play, obviously BYU is one of the surprises of the country, but I thought maybe they'd take a step down with the exception of games at home. They lost their first game at home to open the season. Now it's just completely wide open. You know, starting 0-2, I'm like, all right, maybe BYU isn't as good as everyone else thought. But then they won two straight. They beat a good Iowa State team. They went on the road. They beat UCF. And they battled Texas Tech for the most part on Saturday. Houston seems like they're getting back into form. BYU is obviously one of the most difficult places to play in the country. Jamal Shedd is able to play at his full strength. LJ Cryer. Damian Dunn, all those boys, I feel like there's a good chance they go into BYU and pick up a win. I mean, they just beat Texas Tech and UCF by a combined 38 points, and that defense suffocates you. I feel like, you know, Ken Palm has a 69-66, but I feel like this is going to be a much lower scoring game. BYU's been able to put up points this season, but that Houston defense can just suffocate you. They can just suffocate you. I think Houston's going to win. I think it's going to be a great game. Obviously, one of the most difficult places to play in the country. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is going to be an absolutely tremendous game. And personally, I think that there's a good chance that we see BYU be able to get that outright win. I have been very impressed by what they've been able to do this season. And if this game were played in Houston, I think that would be a very uphill battle, to say the least, for BYU. <laughs> but having this game at Provo at the Marriott Center where darn near nobody wins. I mean, heck, ask Gonzaga how hard it is to be able to win there. I think that we're in for a classic as Nick Lawrence, who does tremendous work over at Mid-Major Bandits, is going to be right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And in terms of what we've all seen the last few weeks, I know that you ran through a few top mid-major teams that you were looking at, like Samford, but I want to get your thoughts on this. What have you made out of the lack of defense, for lack of a better term, that we've been seeing in conference play? Because typically when I think conference play, I think of games slowing down. I think of teams being able to be a little bit more sharp defensively, knowing what's coming. And for my side of things, over the last seven days, overs are hitting at north of a 57% clip. Do you think from a little bit more of a coaching standpoint, this is just a little bit of a difference in philosophy, the uptick in tempo, or is there something else that you attribute to it? Because it does feel like we're seeing much higher scoring games this year in conference play rather than what we've seen in past years. Yeah, and the strange part about it is it feels like there's been a lot more blowouts this season. It feels like there's been a lot of games that just haven't been close, but there's been a lot of points scored. You see a lot of lack of defense. When a team falls behind this year, I feel like it's tough for them to really fight back. It's been a struggle I've seen quite a bit this season, with the exception of obviously the top teams in mid-major basketball. There's just very, very little fight. And yet, you know, you look at conference play and you're usually like the coaches know each other. It's going to be a close game, but it's just been different this year. I don't know what's really up with that. There's been a lot 
points. I don't know the exact stat on blowouts. There's probably a stat on, you know, 20 plus point wins, but I feel like that's at a high this time of year. There's been a lot more blowouts than usual in conference play this season. I feel like at least. Yeah, there has been a lot of strange blowouts that have been going down in conference play. So, I mean, it has been a very strange year to say the least in college basketball. And Nick, I want to give you the floor here since we've talked about a few games that we're going to be seeing on Tuesday. Anything else that's really going to be catching your eye? Because we do have a little bit of everything. We've got some action. We've got some Big Ten games. We went through our marquee game of the night when it comes to the Big 12. Anything else that you're really going to be watching for for this Tuesday? Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, whenever a team goes in to LaSalle, I feel like they struggle, especially Dayton. It's a nine-point line. LaSalle's not that bad of a team. Fran Dunphy, obviously one of the greatest coaches in college basketball over the last 20, 30, 40 years, to be completely honest. I think Dayton goes in there. They struggle. There's a chance there. South Carolina, they've been playing great basketball. They have Kentucky on Tuesday night. They're four-and-a-half-point underdogs. That's quite a tight line. I didn't think it was going to be that tight. But, you know, they've been playing really good basketball. If Michi Johnson's able to hit the three ball like he's been able to do quite often at home this season, South Carolina, for the second straight year in a row, they have a chance to knock off Kentucky. You know, Kentucky obviously has better talent. I think South Carolina is playing as one of the better cohesive units in college basketball this season. In the American, I'm really interested by this UAB-Charlotte game, two teams in the league that have kind of surprised opening the season with one loss, especially Charlotte, who's, I believe, on a five-game winning streak. They're five-point favorites at home against Andy Kennedy and the Blazers. That'll be interesting to see if one of those teams can move to 6-1 and one or 5-1. and one. I believe UAB is 4-1, so continue with one loss because they're two surprise teams. If one of them are able to do that, and you know Charlotte already has that win against FAU, they could potentially get a top-four seed in the American tournament, and that does a lot for you. Boise State goes out to Fresno State. Wyoming visits San Diego State, but I'm more looking at that Boise State-Fresno State game because it's so hard to win in the Mountain West. Fresno State, people sleep on it. Every single game in that league, for the most part, is packed. Fresno State plays in a humongous arena. Not many seats are filled. It's kind of a different vibe in conference play for the Mountain West. I think Boise State could go out there, have some troubles, just because it's not your normal Mountain West game. So there's a couple games I'm looking forward to. There's going to be a lot of fun action that's going to be happening, not just on Tuesday, but the rest of the week in college basketball. As I know Queens NC and what they've all got this week is certainly going to be top of mind for you, Nick, but you do a great job of covering it all over there. I made major madness. So let the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I'll just be continuing tweeting over at mid under dash madness on Twitter. Big week of college hoops. I'm really excited for Princeton Cornell on Saturday. I mentioned Dayton Richmond. It should be a really good Saturday of college basketball. Good Thursday of mid-major basketball as well. So looking forward to covering those days of college hoops. And then, of course, we got two games at Queens this week. We have Central Arkansas on Wednesday. We visit North Alabama on Saturday. The two most strange schools, I'd say, probably in the league. But, yeah. It's going to be a fun week of college basketball, as it always is. We're almost in February as games get more and more important for seeding. I'm just happy that we're in it every single night. I'm happy we're in it every single night, Greg. 
Yes, sir. We certainly are, and we've got so much action coming up in the coming weeks and coming months. Nick does such a great job of being able to gauge it all, and every single time he joins this podcast, makes us just a little bit smarter. So big thanks to Nick for joining me on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we have some big shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my game. <laughs> Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to do my That's my dance, bro. <laughs> Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. 
Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. And we're back here lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost with myself, Greg Eupes-Peters, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast, it is always great to be joined by Nick Lawrence, and he does absolutely tremendous work taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball over there at Mid-Major Madness. Along with his work over there, I know that he does a great job as part of that Queens NC coaching staff, helping them out in the Atlantic Sun as well. So always great to be able to get his insights on the show. Big thanks to Nick for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore D1. And we are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first. And then those games that would be extra games would be at the bottom involving these smaller conferences. It appears as though we do not have any. We might have a right in or two, but that said, it looks like these are all bigger games. So we're just going to be going in time order to keep things very clean and easy. And let's get it started with 6-0-1, 6-0-2 on the betting board. LaSalle plays us to Dayton, and Dayton does find themselves as a favorite of 8.5 to 9 points on the road. Totals between 141 and 142.5. I do think that Dayton should be a favorite. I could only make them a 7.5 point favorite, though. Going to be willing to take A-plus here with LaSalle. It's a Fram Dunphy coach team. You know that this team is not going to beat themselves, and they've done a good job of protecting the ball this year with about 10 or so turnovers per contest, and they're going up against a Dayton squad that has not been the same on defense this year that they have been in past years. Dayton allowing 5.5 more points per 100 possessions than they did a season ago defensively. Now, the offense is absolutely just tearing it apart. You've got an Dayton team that's in the top 25 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They only turned the ball over 10 times for contests, and they're shooting as a collective 40.8% from three-point range with each other. Top three scores, Kobe Brea, Nate Santos, Dayron Holmes, all shooting at least 43.9% from three-point range. I do think regression is going to be coming a little bit for this Dayton team. It has been an absolutely insane season for them being able to stroke it from three-point range, and this is a LaSalle team that they do have their issues guarding the three-point arc. This is a LaSalle team as well outside the top 200 with this regard. Then again, Dayton, they themselves do have a little bit of an issue being able to guard the three-point arc as well, but you do have a better breadth of different options they're able to utilize be able to get some production. You've been able to have Javon... Bennett, along with Kobe Elvis, be able to give you 7.4 assists to fewer than 3.5 turnovers per game, so they've been relatively efficient with that regard. And then on the flip side for LaSalle, Khalil Brantley is a double-figure scorer that is shooting north of 40% from 3 point range. I absolutely love what Anwar Gill brings to the table. He's a Swiss Army Knife guy. He's able to give you like 10 or so points, 3 boards, 3 assists. Doesn't do one thing great, but does everything relatively solid. So that does help offset a LaSalle team that at home is allowing opponents to shoot 
shoot 38.6% from three-point range. That's been a little bit of an issue. Meanwhile, Dean Lee themselves in a roadside search court environment, only allowing opponents to shoot 32% from three. They're right around about 125th overall, and this should be a Dayton team that wins the battle down low with Holmes along with Nate Santos being able to combine for about 14.5 rebounds per game. Good versatility out of both of those guys, but for LaSalle, you've gotten a little bit of something out of Deshaun Shepard, who's been able to give you six rebounds per game. You've also got Jamari Brickus, who's shooting 41% from three. He's actually the top three-point shooter. Brantley, I was mentioning before, five boards, four assists. Not as good of a three-point shooter as Brickus. He's your main three-point shooter, along with a little bit of the unsung guy in Andres Marrero. Marrero, 8.5 points on 41.5% three-point shooting has really come to the forefront recently for this team. Three-plus assists, five-plus rebounds in three of the team's last four games. He's chipped in there at least nine points in each of the team's last three. So I do think that this is a LaSalle team that's going to be able to hold in there. LaSalle, a little bit of a lower-tempo team that has been having a tough time on offense. 65 points or fewer and four of their last five games going up against an Aiden team that, despite the fact that this team has been able to put up big results, this team is also outside the top 300 with regards to total possessions brain. So I did set my total at a 141.5. Personally, I want the 142.5 under. I think that this is a little bit too high. And with LaSalle at 8+, plus, going to be willing to take the points with them. 6-3, 6-4 on the betting board. It is Butler hitting the road face off against Georgetown. Butler is a 3.5 to a 4-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is between 150.5 and 151.5. Seth Butler is a 6-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Ed Cooley doing a solid job coaching up this Georgetown team, but it is a Georgetown team that is quite a bit up against it. And I will say, they do have a Supreme Cook by the name of Supreme Cook, who's been able to give you 11 points, 8 boards. I absolutely love what he's been able to bring to the table for the team. And for Georgetown, they are shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. Shane Epps leading the way with north of 18 points per contest. Really, he's been a good go-to score for a Georgetown team that actually guards the arc halfway decent, a top one our team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Then again, Butler they're a top 85 team with this regard, and this is a Butler squad that, even though they don't have that one guy down low that's going to give you A-plus rebounds per game, you do have Andre Screen along Jalen Thomas being able to combine four in that neighborhood about 13 or so rebounds per game for Butler as well. You've got three top fight scoring options in DJ Turner, Up Davis, Jamal Telford, along with Pierre Brooks. These three guys have been able to combine for the three of them right around about 42.5 points per contest, and then Pasha Alexander. Four boards, five assists, 11-plus points. He's able to give you two seals per game. Really does a nice job of supporting all these pieces, and they get to go up against the Georgetown team that's really been lacking on the glass. About 137th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Butler, I know they've been a little bit up and down, but at home, they've been a top 150 team with regards to their rebound rate on the road. It's been a little bit less than terrific for this team, but got a Butler team that overall only turns the ball over about 10.5 times for contest, and I think that that's going to be a big difference maker in this game. This is a Georgetown team that they do turn the ball for 13 times per game. They're one of the lesser teams in a power conference at being able to generate turnovers, and they're going up against a Butler team that has been pretty darn consistent in terms of their offense. This Butler team has gone to at least 69 points in every one of their games since the beginning of the month of December. Meanwhile, you've got a Georgetown team that, well, they have given up at least 74 points in far of their last five games. Meanwhile, they've been held to 70 points or fewer in far of their last five as well. So, it has been a little bit of lackluster effort. I do think that Butler goes on the road. They take it to a Georgetown team that is clearly improving, but at the same time, it does feel like they're a little bit of a half step away, and with Jay Heath having a bit of regression, only scoring nine points per contest, not able to give upset just added production. I think it's going to be a little bit too much in this spot. I did set Butler as a six-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. And this up, I told out a 
146 with the way that Georgetown has really been lacking in terms of their offense. And despite the fact that Butler has been consistent with their offense, not really been popping out for a lot of like 75 pluses. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Butler. 605, 606 on the bidding board. Akron plays those to Ohio. Ohio does find themselves as a 7-7.5 point underdog. Total on this game is 144.5. Said Akron as an 8.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Akron. They're back to playing relatively slowly. They're outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but Ali Ali is such a difference maker. The guy stands six foot eight. He's able to pop it from three-point range. He's been able to chip in there nearly two and a half assists per contest. Now, I will say his three-point shooting percentage was very rough to start out with just coming back from being ineligible to begin the season because of these two-time waivers, what have you, but goes off for 23 points in the last game against Kent State, and he really has been a difference maker for this offense. Since things have been able to get back in line and since he's been able to return to the roster for this Akron team, they've scored 73-plus points in 9 out of the 10 games that Ali Ali has been out there on the floor, and the defense has still been relatively solid as well in regulation because the game that they played against Gardner-Webb went to overtime, so you throw that out of the 9 games that ended in regulation. They've given up 71 points or fewer in all but two of them as well. Going up against an Ohio team that they do have a pair of guards I like in the backcourt. Sharif Mitchell, Long Jail, and Hunter were combining for about 27 points per contest, but both of these guys shoot below 30% from three. Now what Ohio does very well, they don't turn the ball over. They only turn the ball over about 9.8 times for contest. It is an Ohio team that they do an okay job of guarding the arc. They're about 187th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point chinning percentage, but they're just not going to be able to hold up on the glass for Ohio. You've got Elmore James giving you six rebounds per game. He's the only guy that gives you north of 4.2 boards per contest. Meanwhile, you've got an Akron team that is in the top 125 with regards to rebound rate due to Enrique Freeman. 18.5 points. His 12.9 rebounds per game leads all of college basketball. 1.7 blocks, and he shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. That is just completely unguardable for an Ohio team that has been a little bit better with regards to their defense, but they just have not been able to get what they were hoping for out of someone like Gabe Witznitzer, who's foot eleven, began his career at Louisville, just hasn't given you a lot of rebounding. Now, I will say for Akron, nobody outside of Enrique Freeman really gives you north of four rebounds per game, but guys like a Sammy Hunter have been able to do a solid job of being able to chip in. You've been able to get right around about three assists per contest out of Caleb Thornton as well. So these guys are all doing their part, and they get to go up against an Ohio team that has been a little bit better with their defense recently, but still, 193rd in all of college basketball turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do think that Akron continues to be a constant on offense. I did sell my total at a 148.5. I think that you could get some late game following year as I did sell my line at an 8.5. Team down eight. If they're down eight with a minute remaining, they're going to foul. So, going at the over. And with Akron, willing to lay up to eight with them. 607, 608 on the betting board. Central Florida plays those to West Virginia. West Virginia, an underdog of eight points. Their totals between 138.5 and 139.5. Said Central Florida is a 10-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Central Florida, a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a West Virginia team that you have to fear that they're going to be feeling a little bit fat and happy after getting that nice win over Kansas. And this is a West Virginia team that they are certainly a different team when they are in a road-slash-neutral-court environment rather than when they're at home. West Virginia overall for the year, 220th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. That is very much less than savory, and they are still without Jesse Edwards. Things are starting to come together with guys like Kirk Creese, Lanth, Raekwon Battle being able to help out the offense. And for Raekwon Battle, he has been a battling for West Virginia. He's been able to log a little bit north of 
19 points per contest, five boards, but he shoots about 28.5% for three, and all in all, it is a West Virginia team that they turn the ball over 12 times per contest, they shoot 32% from three-par range, and for West Virginia, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis in a roadside shoot-to-court environment, they're scoring about 14 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are away from home. No, Farrakhan has actually been a nice producer for this team as well, shooting 37.5% from three-par range, but once again, those Kirk Crease at 3.3 turnovers per game proved to be very costly in the last spots for West Virginia. Going up against the Central Florida team, that is a top 50 team in the country with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. A top 50 team with regards to rebound rate. As a matter of fact, a top 40 team with regards to rebound rate. Despite the fact that they've only got one guy that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. It's a really rebound-by-committee sort of oriented team as out of your top 5 scores, 4 of them give you north of 4 rebounds per game. Abrima Diallo, 6 points, 6 fours, 2 blocks per contest. Omar Payne gives you a block and a half per game. These guys are able to dominate down low. And then Jalen Sellers is shooting just 26% from 3 after at Ball State last year. Shot north of 40% from 3, but still has been able to chip in their 17 points per contest. Him being able to crank up that outside shooting a little bit more can be even bigger for this team. And for West Virginia, they just continue to bleed points as they have given up at least 73 points in each out of their last eight games. Meanwhile, you've got a Central Florida team that they're doing a really good job of just sticking teams into the mud. They have given up 71 points or fewer in each other last four games. Really sans that hiccup that they had against Kansas State. This team has been very good with regards to their defense. As a matter of fact, they have given up 71 points or fewer in regulation and pretty much all but one out of their last 10 games. I do think that Central Florida is going to be able to slow things down quite a bit. I do think that West Virginia just going to have a rough time on offense in general in this one. So I did some my 12 130 I'm going to be looking at the under. And with Central Florida, made them the favorite of 10 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it. 609-610 on the main board. Nebraska plays us to Ohio State. Ohio State, an underdog of 2.5 to 3 points. So on this game is 149.5. With Nebraska, made them a 3-point favorite. 2.5 is the max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. This is an Ohio State team that hasn't been quite the same on the road rather than at home. And I do think that they're going to have a tough time with Rink Mask. Rink Mask, a 6'10". Do it all sort of player for the Nebraska bunch has been able to chip in there a little bit over eight boards, 12 and a half points. She's about 30% from three as a versatile guy that's able to give you three assists per contest. This is an Ohio State team that is much improved on defense from where they were a season ago. A season ago, this team was a train wreck. They are now about 61st in all of college basketball. Turns points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is a Nebraska team that they've crept into the top 100 with regards to their points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for a Nebraska team, they're giving up 11.9 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside short quarter environment. And Nebraska doing a solid job on the glass or a top 90 team with regards to their overall rebound right now. I would say a little bit superior with this regard at 31st, and that's because you've got someone like a Zed Key who's able to give you about 7 rebounds per game. Felix Opara, multiple blocks, 7.5 rebounds per game, but when it comes to Nebraska, they've got Casey Shomanaga who's been able to do a nice job giving you 14.5 points, shooting 38% from 3-point range, and then Jawan Gary has been able to shoot about 33% from the outside, chipping in their 12 points per contest. It's a Nebraska team that does a good job of not hurting themselves. They only turn the ball over about 11.3 times per contest, and Ohio State does much of the same. 10.5 turnovers per game for them, but they really don't force any seals. We've got Bruce Sorner who gives you 16 points. 
Shooting about 32% from three. Jameson Battle has been really the guy that has battled and shot 44.5% from the outside. But this has been an Ohio State offense that has had their woes when they've hit the road. This is a team that you can always bank on at home to be able to get it done. But I do think that this environment is going to be taking something out of them as they are about 43rd in the country. Turns points scored on a per possession basis. That's not too shabby. But with this Nebraska team really rising up when they've been at home, scoring about 9.3 points more per 100 possessions. I think that's going to be a little bit too much, especially with the Nebraska team that's able to match the physicality of Ohio State. And for Ohio State, defense has been regressing quite a bit, giving up north of 70 points for their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Nebraska team that has been really kicking it up with regards to their offense, getting to at least 75 points in each of their last four games. So, good old situation of something's got to give. I did set my total at 143 here at the 149.5. I think we've went a little bit too far. It's an ISA team has been having a little bit of a rough go of it on offense, and they're outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. So, looking under, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 2.5 with Nebraska. 6-11, on the bang board. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's on the road against UMass. UMass is a favorite of two points. Your total on this game is 154 to 154.5. I set my line at two as well. So we're going to be waiting on a little bit of line movement here. If we can get down to a one, which I saw there was a one a little bit earlier, I would be willing to lay it with UMass. This St. Joe's team has been incredible on defense. A top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They do a nice job of really not beating themselves. They don't allow a lot of second chances on defense. They themselves turn the ball over 11 times for contact shoot about 73.5% at the free throw line and of their top five scores. Four of them do shoot north of 80.5% at the free throw line. It's a little bit of a top-heavy team, but you've got Xavier Brown, Lynn Greer combining for about 7.2 assists, 2.8 steals, and don't turn the ball over a lot between the two of them, as both give you about 11.5 points per contest. Brown shoots 47% from three, and then Eric Reynolds is your main scorer. Nearly three assists, 17.5 points on 40% three-point shooting, but you take a look at this UMass team, and even though they might be without Matt Cross once again, big man who's been able to do a solid job providing 8.3 rebounds per game. We have not seen him since January 10th. Don't think we're going to see him here. Self Josh Cohen. He has been incredibly versatile coming in from the NEC, shooting 42% from distance at right around 6 foot 10. He gives you a steal, 18 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. And this is still a really good backcourt that does a nice job ranking in the top 45 in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis, while they themselves only turn the ball over 10.8 times per contest. Now, the rebounding is going to take a little bit of a drop off, but in Daniel Hinkins Sanford has been able to do a solid job, give you 5 rebounds per game thus far this season. And with the games that we have been seeing Nomad across in the fold for, he has really stepped it up. He's been able to give the team each out of the last four games at least six rebounds. He has shipped in there 10 plus points in all but one of those games as well. He does fall a little bit too much, but that said, out there in the backcourt, you've also got Prairie Guys and Rasul Diggins along Keon Thompson. They've been able to combine for about 22 points per contest with Diggins shooting 35% from three-point range. These UMass team that only shoots about 31.5% from three-point range at St. Joe's. They do a good job of being able to guard the arc. They are certainly one of the better teams in all of college basketball at that regard, but I do feel like it's a little bit of an elixir that UMass really doesn't look to pop a lot of threes. They do look to be able to drive the ball in just a little bit more, and it's a UMass team that at home, they're allowing opponents to shoot just 30.8% from three-point range. I do think that you get a well-played game, and I do think that this is a spot where we are going to see it come down to late game falling, and even though UMass is the inferior free-throw shooting team, I do think what they're able to do on the glass is going to be just enough to be able to get the job done in this spot. I did set my total at a 149. Here are 154, 154 and a half. Went at the under. You've got a UMass team that's also in the top 80. There's points a lot on a per-possession basis, and 
They've given up 67 points for fear in three of their last five games. So, when at the under, and with UMass, one to lay one and a half or less with them. 613, 614 on the main board. Western Michigan plays OC Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, an underdog of six points. Settles between 147 half and 148 with Eastern Michigan. I did set them as an underdog of eight and a half points. So, I'm going to be one to lay the six here with Western Michigan. Western Michigan has really become a little bit of a different team with them getting in. Some of the uh, guys that were denied a waiver at the beginning part of the season as now they've got a lot more size down low to operate in. Just flat out have been getting really good production on the two-time variance for Javante Brown. He had seven feet tall, so he'll give you 13 points, a block and a half, five and a half rebounds per game. He impacts all aspects of the game, and that really takes a load off of top scorer Seth Hubbard out there in the backcourt. He's shooting 35% from three, 15 and a half points per contest. Team has really been able to excel when he has been able to as well. And this is a Western Michigan team that prior to the arrival of Brown, this team was really lacking on offense. But all of a sudden, this team has been able to hit mock turbo with regards to that offense. As in their last eight games, they have gotten to at least 75 points in all but one of them going up against an Eastern Michigan team that is outside the top three in terms of total possessions per game, and they have legitimately one score. Ty Acuff, who's been able to give you 22 points, shoots about 30% from three-point range. Nobody else on the roster gives you north of 10 points per contest. As a matter of fact, you've only got one other player on the roster. That would be Julius Ellerby who gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. Five points, five boards, two assists out of them for an Eastern Michigan team that, quite frankly, has been one of the least efficient in all of college basketball. Well, outside the top 225 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they rank 275th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well. Eastern Michigan just going to get absolutely clocked on the glass. Now, I recognize if you take a look at the entirety of the season, Western Michigan not doing the world's greatest job with regards to rebound rate. They're clocking at about 190 ninth, which isn't bad, but at the same time, it doesn't compare to what they've been able to do recently ever since they've been able to get Brown back and fold. A couple of that, you've got someone like an Owen Lobsinger, who's able to give you 9.6 boards. He's shooting 43.5% from 3 par inch. BR just white out there in the backcourt has been a little bit hit or miss, but you've been able to get really good production as well out of Jefferson De La Cruz Marengo, who's been able to give you about 9.5 points, 3 boards, 3 assists, 40% 3-point shooting, so I like what these guys have been able to do, and you just don't have that support for the Caesar Mission team, one that has been held to 67 points or fewer in regulation in each of their last five games for the Caesar Michigan team. As a matter of fact, in games against Division I opponents, they have been held to 72 points or fewer in every one of their games since the beginning of the month of December. So, I do think that Western Michigan good to be able to hold up here, though I do think that Western Michigan continues their good offense. I did set my total 146 half. Here at the 147 half, just don't think that Eastern Michigan does their part, looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay up to eight with the Broncos of Western Michigan. 615-616 on the bank board. Loyal Chicago is for a face-off against VCU. VCU does find themselves as a favorite of 4.5 points and total on this game is 137.5 and with VCU, I did set them as a favorite of five and a half points. So here at the four and a half to five, I'm going to be willing to lay it. It's a loyal Chicago team that's been able to do a pretty solid job defensively. They're a top 45 team nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And Loyal actually has a really good rebound rate, but I do feel like sometimes numbers can be fool's gold. And it really does feel that way when it comes to Loyal Chicago. You don't have a single guy in this roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. And it's just a very strange Loyal Chicago team in that they're one of the worst teams in all college basketball always have been at being able to give themselves second chances on the boards, but they never give you any second chances either, so it's pretty much a make it and take it sort of game, and with VCU, I do think that Toby Luol is going to be able to win things down low. He's been able to give the team 8 points, 6 boards, has really been able to come into his own as a bit of a big man, had 10 rebounds in their game against LaSalle about a week or so ago, going up against the loyal Chicago team then. 
does have their issues taking care of the ball as well. This loyal Chicago team, 13.3 turnovers per game. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they're a bottom 75 team in all of college basketball. Now, loyal Chicago has been able to do a very solid job of being able to lock things down with regards to the second chances, but they're going to give you a lot of open three-point looks, especially when they're on the road, allowing opponents to shoot 37.5% from three-point range in a roadside short-court environment. They're 281st overall, and this is a VCU team that they themselves have been able to do a tremendous job of being able to lock down from three. They are in the top 30 in all of college basketball that I regard, allowing opponents to shoot 30.1%, and that's a lot of the lifeblood for Loyal Chicago. Loyal Chicago out there, top five scores, four of them shoot at least 40% from three-part range. As a collective, they shoot 35.5% from the outside. Lone exception is actually their top scorer in Phil Paulson, 14 points, three boards per contest, but you've got a lot of guys like Dame Edelkuhn, Desmond Watson, Jaden Dawson, guys like this who have been able to give you between about 8.5 in the case of Watson, 12.5 points per contest, shooting it well from three-part range, but this is also a transformed VCU team with getting back Sean Barisau, Joel Besmele. These two guys combined for about 24.5 points per contest, and Besmele shooting 39% for three. It's a VCU team that prior to these guys getting back in the fold, they really turned the ball over a lot. That's why they're turning the ball over 12.8 times per contest, but they've been able to fortify things. Max Shulga has been a nice constant for the team. Three and a half assists, a 38% three-point shooter as well for a VCU team that really has been able to execute defensively. Top 85 team nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job getting to a loyal Chicago team that when they've been on the road, they've given up 18 more points per one earned possessions rather than at home. So a spot where I did set VCU as a 5.5 point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. I did set my total at a 139.5 with the way that VCU is able to pop threes now that they've got Bears, Sal, Long, Bejmili in the fold and the way that they give it up from the outside. So looking at the over and going to be one to lay with VCU. 617-618 on the bank board. Central Michigan plays us Miami of Ohio, and Miami of Ohio is an underdog of a point and a half. Total on this game is 142, and with Central Michigan, I did set them as a favorite of two and a half points. I'm going to be one to lay up to a deuce with them. Central Michigan squad, that certainly has been lacking with regards to their defense. They are well outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Central Michigan, they do need to shape up with regards to turnovers, but I've absolutely loved what I've seen out of Anthony Pritchard. Anthony Pritchard, 14 points, 5 boards, 4.5 assists, not a great 3-point shooter, but the team has been able to ascend a little bit with that regard with Derek Butler being able to step up. Butler, the junior college transfer, has been able to shoot 46% for 3-point range, 8-plus points in far of the team's last 5 games. He's really given a central Michigan team has been one of the lesser offensive teams in all of college basketball. A nice breath of life, and they do go up against the Miami of Ohio team that they've been relatively okay with their offense. Miami of Ohio, they actually score more points per possession when they're in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. They're a top 125 team. With that regard, and shooting a little bit north of 39% from three-point range when they're away from home. The problem that you do have with Miami of Ohio is that this team is just getting absolutely lambasted on the glass. Miami of Ohio has a rebound rate that is outside of the top 300 in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, 331st. Going to be against a Central Michigan team that they themselves only right around about 267th, but I do like what Brian Taylor is able to bring to the fold. 12.5 points, 7.5 boards. Good six foot six, a little bit of a do it all sort of player. Say Central Michigan team as well. It's getting more out of Marcus Harding down low. Harding saying six foot ten, he's able to pop threes. Doesn't necessarily pop them very well, but he was a little bit banged up towards the beginning part of the season. Now he's been able to give the team a little bit more on the boards as well. Going up against the Miami of Ohio team that has been able to have Anderson Marbeau, the six foot eight, three hundred pound big man, be able to supply for the team. And then Abert about fourteen points, four boards per contest. But he's actually trying to shoot threes and everything like that, despite the fact that. He's 
Leagues, a Husky or Big Man, which I'm not sure why. Nobody else on the roster gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game, and it's a Miami of Ohio team that really doesn't have a go-to score. Darwishy Hunter, who comes in from Northern Illinois, he's been able to shoot about 37% from three, 12.5 points per contest, and while you've got a lot of guys that shoot it really well from three-point range for this Miami of Ohio team, are just lacking a little bit of an identity and that has caused them to have some issues just overall both on offense and on defense. They've given up 70 plus points each other last two games. Now credit to Miami of Ohio, winners of three out of their last four games but Central Michigan, winners of four out of their last five games with their defense really being able to step up. 65 points of fear allowed in four of their last five games. That includes playing against Ohio, Kent State, Toledo, and Ball State in this time span. So like what I'm seeing out of the Central Michigan team, I do think that they're going to hold down a Miami of Ohio team as be able to shoot it quite well from three-point range, but I do think that Central Michigan's perimeter defense is going to do just enough in this spot. Central Michigan is allowing opponents to shoot just 30.8% from three-point range at home. I think that that is going to be enough for them to be able to get it done. I did set Central Michigan as a favorite of two and a half points, so I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half in. With regards to the total, I set mine at a 140 and a half, so looking under and looking at Central Michigan. 619, 620 on the bang board. St. Pound Adventure. It's a road face-off against Duquesne, and Duquesne is a favorite of three points. Seeing a lot of three and a half out there as well. Total game is 142 to 142 and I think the wrong team is favored. I said St. Bonaventure is the three and a half point favorite. I'm looking at them outright on the muddy line. Can we just admit that Duquesne was a little bit overrated coming into the season? Like this Duquesne team, I don't know what they do well. They're 257th in all of college basketball with opponents three point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 37.8% from three point range, and they're a super top heavy team. Did Jimmy Clark, Day Day Grant, both of these guys give you north of 16 points per contest. Nobody else really gives you north of eight points per game. Nobody else really hits a glass for this team. It just feels like it's a really rudderless bunch at this point. Meanwhile, for St. Bonaventure, Charles Pride has been a nice suit all player. 12.5 points, 7 boards, shoots 47.5% from 3-point range, and I have to go up against the St. Bonaventure team that among their top 3 scorers have made at least 1-3 this year. That takes out Chad Vetting, who down low has been able to give you about 5 boards, 14.5 points per game. They're all shooting at least 42% from 3-point range. It just feels like another really bad matchup. For Duquesne, you've been able to have Mike Adams Woods for this. St. Bonaventure team give you about three and a half assists per contest. Now, it's a Bonnie team that's very slow. They're outside the top three in terms of total possessions per game, but they only turn the ball over 10 and a half times for contest. St. Bonaventure very much in tune with being able to guard the three-point arc themselves. Opponents are shooting just 29.6% from three against them in a roadside shoot record environment. The man formerly known as Jan Farrell has been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game as well. And for Duquesne, and you've got Fusani Drama. He's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game, but his brother Hassan has been giving you nothing whatsoever. He's been a little bit banged up. It's a Duquesne team that they shoot 33.5% from three. Again, outside of Grant and Clark, what are you getting out of this team? Right now, it's just a big, giant nothing burger. Duquesne has just taken loss after loss here in Atlantic 10 play. They have not exceeded 70 points in any of their games since the turn of the new year. And you've got a St. Bonaventure team that has been able to really lock down on defense all season long. They have given up north of 72 points just three times all season long. So this is a spot where I do think that the Bonnies do get it done in a low-scoring slog. Set them as a 3.5 point favorite. Looking at Bonaventure outright on the money line. Set my total 139.5. So also looking under. 621 622 on the betting board UAB. It's a road face off against Charlotte, and Charlotte does find themselves as a five point underdog. Total on this game, it is 139 and a half. 
Good old situation of something's got to give. You've got a UAB team that is right now lighting it up with regards to their offense, and they're well outside the top 200 in terms of their defensive efficiency. And you got a Charlotte team that is in the bottom 25 with regards to total possessions per game. I did set my total at 142.5. I'm looking at the over because I do think that this is going to be a game that's close enough for late game felling. Both bookmakers and myself are telling you that. I said Charlotte has a 4.5 point favor. They've got them at 5. The team is down 5 with a minute remaining. They're probably going to be doing some felling. So I think that that's going to help out. You've got a Charlotte team that's quite efficient. 9.7 turnovers per game. You've got a pair of guys, Lucille Patterson, along with Igor Milicic. They've been able to combine for about 26.5 points per contest. Milicic, 8 boards. He's able to shoot 37% from 3 par range, but... They now have to match up with a UAB team that is in the top 40 nationally in terms of percentage of missed shots that they pull in as an offensive rebound. Now, where UAB is really bad with regards to their defense, carrying the three-pointer, 260th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but that does fall to about 34.5% when they're in a road-slash-shoot-to-court environment. They've actually been halfway decent when they've been away from home with that regard. Now, it's a Charlotte team that they really lock you down from three. Opponents are shooting just 28.8% from three-point range against them, but it's not like this has been a UAB team that's been really Really looking to let it fly from three points. Your top scorer, Eric Gaines, only shoots about 20% from distance, 12.5 points, 4.8 assists, 2.4 seals per contest. UAB's holes only shooting about 30.2% from three point range. You've been able to get a lot down low, though, out of a pair of guys in Yaxel Lenborg along with Javion Davis. They've been able to combine for about 16 rebounds per game. They both give between about 10.5 to 11.5 points per contest, and that's the thing with this UAB team. You don't necessarily have that superstar this season, but you've got five different guys that will be able to give you at least 10 points per contest. It's a Charlotte team. I do think that they're going to be able to slow things down, but I think that they're going to be able to hit quite a few shots against a UAB team that has been a little bit better with their defense. 71 points of fear surrender in three of their last four games, but it's also a UAB team that's starting to hit mock turbo with regards to their offense. This UAB team has been able to get to at least 73 points in all but two of their games since the beginning of the month of December. You've got a Charlotte team that they themselves have been able to do a little bit of a better job on offense. 70 plus points in three of their last five games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a nip and tuck game. I think UAB does a solid job on the glass to hold in there against a Charlotte team that will cut them off from the three-point line, but UAB finds a way to knife the ball inside and to be able to hang in this game. So I set my line at 4.5. Here at the 5, going to be taking a look at the points with UAB and made my total 142.5. So also looking over at 623, 624 on the main board. Kent State hits the road face off against Bowling Green. Bowling Green is an underdog of a point and a half to two points. Still on this game is 152 and with Bowling Green, I did set them as a favorite of four points. I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half to two. It's a Kent State team that it's just not the same defense that they were a season ago last year. This was a top 30 team nationally. There's points allowed on a per possession basis, and they're anything but that this season. They have seen a bit of a drop-off with regards to the way that they are able to generate turnovers. I do like what Chris Payton is doing for this team. He's been able to supply the team with 14 points, 8 boards, comes in for Pittsburgh, and now he's been able to shoot from 3-point range in that neighborhood of a bow. 33.5%. So, got a lot of versatility there. And overall, this is a team that, from three-point range, they've been able to pop it at a clip of about 36.5%. It's a Kent State team that as well, after they played very fast to begin the season, they're starting to slow down just a little bit. This team was really playing a little bit too fast for their own good. If you take a look at what has happened ever since Mac play, this team has just not been able to put in there the same amount of offensive production as they have scored 71 points of fear and regulation in three of their last five games. Going up against a Bowling Green team that under 
Todd Simon. They're actually looking to push the tempo. Todd Simon, when he's ever at Southern Utah, always was a very up-tempo and fast coach, and this team has gotten to at least 78 points in each of their last four games, and if you want to date it back a little bit further, this team has been able to score at least 75 points in now nine out of their last 10 games. They've got Marcus Hill as a primary scorer with 20 and a half points per contest. It is a team that is lacking from three-point range. They're only shooting as collective about 31.6%, but you've been able to get about 35.5% shooting from the outside with three assists, 12.5 points out of Trey Thomas. Rashawn Ag along with Jason Spurgeon have been able to combine for 15 rebounds per game, so I do think that Bowen Green is also going to be able to do a solid job on glass. They're about 116th in the country with regards to rebound rate, and despite the fact that Kent State has been trying to be a little bit better on the glass, they're just 183rd with this regard as well. And this is a Bowen Green team that they do a nice job of being able to just stay in front of you. They've actually guarded better from three-point range on the road rather than at home. At home, they allow opponents to shoot 36.5% from the outside, more like 34% in a roadside shoot record environment, but this is also a Kent State team that has given up from three-point range 315th in all of college basketball. They've been a little bit okay on the interior, but when they get to the outside, that has been a very rough situation for them. I do think that Bowling Green, with having so much versatility and the way that they've been able to ascend into a top 115 defense in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, having that hole is greater than some of its parts approach aside from Marcus Hill, I think is very big, and it's a Kent State team that just been turning the ball too much without Giovanni Santiago having to take over for Sincere Carey. North of 12 and a half turnovers per game for Kent State has been very costly for them. They have now given up at least 76 points in each of their last four games, so an interesting ordeal here. I did set my total at a 148. I do think that Bowling Green going to be able to rack up the points and be able to get the cover in this spot, so looking at Bowling Green laying the number in here at a 152, I think we've gone a little bit too far with the way the Bowling Green has been able to play defense themselves, so looking at the under and I'm going to be one to lay it with the Falcons. 625, 626 on the betting board. Minnesota is going to be playing us Wisconsin. Wisconsin, a 4.5 to a 5-point favorite. And your total between 141.5 and 142. Set Wisconsin as a 3.5-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Minnesota. Minnesota has just played differently at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And you do have to have that feeling that Minnesota, after failing to cover two out of their last three games, maybe the air is going out of the balloon just a little bit on them and that they were a little bit overvalued coming into the season. But playing on the road in the Big Ten is no joke. Minnesota giving up 20.9 points fewer per one or possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And this is a Wisconsin team that they do have different results when they are on the road rather than at home with regards to their offense as well. And this is a Wisconsin team that's actually been very good with their offense this season. They're a top 30 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And to the credit of Wisconsin, the one thing that they've done better on the road is shoot it from three. They're shooting about 35.7% from three-part inch at home. Actually goes to 36.1% in a roadside shoot court environment and for this Wisconsin team their drop off in terms of points scored per possession is about 10.6 points when they are away from home and this is a Wisconsin team though that is able to make up for it on the glass. Steven Kroll, Tyler Wall, they've been able to combine for about 13 and a half rebounds per game. Kroll is continuing to shoot north of 50% from three-point range. I have no idea how, I have no idea why but he just continues to get it done with that regard and then AJ Storr now up to shooting about 32% from three-point range when he was over at St. John's last year he was a north of 40% three-point shooter, but John Blackwell shooting 51.5% for three. 
three. We should see a little bit of fluff there. So that honestly irons out. But it's a Minnesota team that is going to be so key as to whether or not Elijah Hawkins is going to be playing in this game. He actually missed the team's last contest, and he has been towards the top of all of college basketball in terms of assists per game. 7.8 assists, 8 points per contest. Even with him out of the fold, though, this team was relatively okay in that game against Michigan State. They didn't get the job done with a win, but they were able to get the cover. And if you don't have Mr. Hawkins out there in the fold, you're still in relatively okay hands of being able to dole out the ball. As Mike Mitchell, he did a lot of facilitating when he was over at Pepperdine a season ago, and I do think that there's a good chance that Hawkins does miss this game, by the way. So, do want to make that clear, but with Mitchell in that game, of which we did not see Hawkins in the fold, 14 points, 5 assists, and overall the season, he shot 38% from 3 range. It's a Minnesota team that also has a dominant big man in Dawson Garcia. It's able pop threes, doesn't necessarily do so very well at about 21.5%, but 17.5 points, 7.5 boards, 2 assists. He's got really good versatility. I do think that Minnesota is going to be a hold in there against a Wisconsin team that's very slow, very controlled, and you know that they're going to be just meticulous with regards to their offense. They don't really pressure you on defense, and if you do have Hawkins out of the fold, that's honestly a really good thing for a Minnesota team that has been scuffling a little bit with their offense. Scoring now 66 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. So an interesting ordeal here. I think that Wisconsin is able to get a win but no cover. So I set my line at three and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Minnesota. And this has been a really efficient Wisconsin team. I think it's gotten to 70 plus points in each out of their last 10 games. Either that or it's 10 out of their last 11. They've actually been really good with this regard. So I did set my total at 143 and a half. I think that this game is going to be close enough for late game felling. And Minnesota has had a rough time of it the last few games with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. They're going up against a Wisconsin team that has not done the world's greatest job of being able to guard the three-point arc. Wisconsin, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, currently clocking in 282nd with opponents shooting 39.7% from three. So I think that that keeps Minnesota lively. I'm going to be one take the points. Semi-total 143 and a half. So also looking over. 627, 628 on the bang board. South Carolina is going to be playing against Kentucky. Kentucky is a four to four and a half point road favorite. Totals between 155 and a half and 156 with Kentucky. I did set them as a favorite of five points. Here at the 4-4.5, to I'm going to be one to lay it. I know how dangerous it is to go on the road in the SEC, but I do think that Kentucky is going to be able to do it. This is a Kentucky team that I think is going to be slowing down a little bit offensively just in the way that they have been a completed under flamethrower. Number 4 in off college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and they are scoring 14.1 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. And for Kentucky, they shoot 42.4% from 3 point range at home, more like 35.9% in a roadside shoot record environment. So you do have a little bit of a split there going up against the South Carolina team that has done a very solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They're about 150th in the country, allowing opponents to shoot 33% from three-point range. And this is a South Carolina team that is very much a poor man's Kentucky, I honestly think is a good way of putting it. For South Carolina, they certainly don't have someone like an Aaron Bradshaw, seven foot one that's able to pop threes, but you do have someone like BJ Mack. He does stand right around about six foot eight. He's given the team five boards, 32% three-point shooting, 14 points per contest. South Carolina plays very slowly. They play very under control. They only turn the ball over ten and a half times per contest with Taylon Cooper giving you 4.3 assists, 1.1 seals per contest, shooting 41.5% from three-point range. They've got their go-to score in Mikichi Johnson, but we've got guys like Miles Sute and company that all make some very good contributions. Meanwhile, you've got a Kentucky team in which you've got Antonio Reeves, who's been your main go-to scorer with 19.5 points on 42.5% three-point shooting, but 
just have a plethora of scoring options for this team out of your top six scores. Five of them shoot at least 35.5% from three-point range. And now they get in Big Z, Zanamir Isovic. Hopefully I said that correctly. I apologize if I did not. 16 minutes in his game against Georgia. He was able to give you 13 points, lit it up from three-point range. So, I mean, that was a good showing there. You still have... Mr. Reed Shepard shooting 55% from three. Again, I think we're going to see a little bit of a fall off there. And this is a Kentucky team that they can be at a little bit defensively in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team is outside the top 75, though. I will say Kentucky is locking it down on the three-point arc. They are 64th in the country in opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So, a very interesting game. A Kentucky team that wants to really run it and gun it. A South Carolina team outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. I did set Kentucky as a favorite of five points with Kentucky being a top 10 team in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis, even though I think they go a little bit colder from three, I think that they still get the job done. So I did set my total 153 as a result, looking at the under and one to lay it with Kentucky. 629, 630 on the bank board ball seat. It's the red face off against Buffalo. Buffalo does find themselves as a home underdog of two points. Those between 143 and 144. It is up Buffalo as an underdog of three and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay with Ball State. Ball State certainly leaving a lot to be desired in terms of their defense, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is a Ball State team that's about to earn 80th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you've got a Buffalo team that's 327th and Buffalo is actually worse defensively at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. This is a bottom 15 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis when they're at home. And for Buffalo, they just can't hold on to the ball. They're a bottom 10 team in the country in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. I love what Anquan Bolden Jr. has been able to do and his father is a guy that I'm very fond of as well, but I mean, he's been able to give you a little bit of three-point shooting right around about seven to eight points per contest. He's been okay in a backcourt that really does need a little bit of a hero, and if there is one thing that Buffalo's doing an okay job of, they're about to earn sixth in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Ball State, more in that neighborhood, about three and fourth. Opponents are shooting 37.7% from three-point range against them in a roadside short corner environment, but I do think that Ball State is certainly much more built to be able to take advantage of this bad defense just because with this Ball State team at the very least you've got quite a few guys in the backcourt that will for one take care of the ball and two be able to put it in there you've got Bashir Jihad who's been able to give you 17.7 half boards on 36.5% three point shooting and it's a Ball State team that they're turning the ball over 12 times for contest not great not terrible you've got four different guys that give you double figures including Jalen Anderson comes in from LMU Loyal Marymount 16 points four and a half assists per contest so love what I'm seeing there. Now, this is a Ball State team that they don't necessarily generate 100 million billion turnovers, and Buffalo has been a little bit better recently in terms of taking care of the ball. The defense has still been rough, though. 76 plus points allowed in each of their last four games. Now, Buffalo should actually be able to win the battle down low. You've got Genevia Smith with about eight points, nine boards per contest. Cy Chapman has chipped in their six half boards per game as well, and Isaiah Adams is a little bit of a versatile player. Three and a half assists, 13 and a half points per contest, but Chapman, Adams both shoot less than 26% from three-point. Really, Sands and Juan Bolden Jr. and you've been able to have Smith actually shoot 43.5% from three. This team does not have any threats from the outside. They're a bottom 10 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, so they're not going to be able to take advantage of this bad Ball State perimeter defense. As a result, I'm going to be willing to lay with Ball State, set them as a 3.5 point favorite. I did set my total at a 145.5 with the way that Buffalo's been getting destroyed on defense. So, looking at the under, and going to be willing to lay with Ball State. 631, 632 on the main board. Texas, they are on the road facing up against Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a favorite of between 4 to 4.5 points. So, it's between 144 and a half at 145 and with Oklahoma. I did set them as a favorite of six points. So I'm going to be willing to lay it. This just feels like a little bit 
of a rudderless Texas team. They get the job done against Baylor a few nights ago, but this team just feels very wobbly right now. Max Aismas has been a good go-to scorer. 17.5 points, 4.5 assists on 40% three-point shooting. And all in all, it is a Texas team that they do shoot 37.5% from three-point range, but now they go up against an Oklahoma team that has just absolutely locked teams down from the perimeter. Sixth in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And just from watching this team, it doesn't feel fluky at all. Meanwhile, Texas allowing opponents from three-point range in a roadside shooter environment to shoot 41.1%. I do think that we're going to see that fall back just a little bit. That's just some bad luck in general, but this is also a Texas team that has one guy in the roster giving north of 4.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Dylan Mitchell. He's been able to do a pretty rock-solid job. 11 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. So, I mean, I do like what he's been able to bring to the table, but that said, this is a Texas team that is well outside the top 100 with regards to their rebound rate. Oklahoma is 16th. Even though Oklahoma doesn't have anyone that gives you north of 6 rebounds per game, Jalen Moore is actually your top rebounder with about 5.9 rebounds per game. They do a nice job of being a rebound by committee. As you got someone like a Rivaldo Suarez, who's able to give you about 6.5 points, 5 boards per contest. Milo Suzan is just a do-it-all player. 8.5 points, 4.5 assists. Was hoping to see a little bit more out of him this year, but that's been replaced by JVM McCollum along with Otega away. Be able to combine for 29 points. McCollum gives you about 4 assists, and away is currently shooting 59% for 3. That is going to regress just a little bit, but this Oklahoma team has really been able to get a nice boost at home. If you take a look at them in terms of their home and road splits, this has been one of the teams with one of the most demonstrative ones in all of college basketball. Oklahoma in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up about 18.3 points fewer per one hour possessions when they are at home. I think that Oklahoma gets the job done in this rivalry match. If I'm going to be willing to lay up to 5.5 with Oklahoma, made them a 6-point favorite, and with this total, I did set it at a 144. Texas has been relatively solid with their 3-point shooting, but Oklahoma absolutely locks you down defensively, and this is an Oklahoma team that may have been able to do a really good job when they've been at home of just being able to take it two teams. Meanwhile, this is a Texas team that they themselves have been held to 75 points or fewer in every single one of their Big 12 games. So, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Oklahoma. 633-634 on the betting board. Pittsburgh is on the road facing off against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is a home underdog of three points. So, it's between 144 and a half and 145. Except Pittsburgh as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points. This is a Georgia Tech team that certainly has been all over the place as far this season. It's a squad that is starting to get a little bit more in terms of their three-point shooting, but you do have to have your question marks here with a Georgia Tech team that all of a sudden has been able to have Nate George come to the forefront. I like what Nathan George has been able to do for this team. Over the team's last four games, has had five-plus assists in every one of them, and as a matter of fact, he's had a combined 31 assists to eight turnovers in his last four games. So, I mean, this is very big for the team, but at the same time, it is a Georgia Tech team that they're still turning the ball over 12 and a half times for contests. They're still shooting about 32% from three-point range, and this is a big concern that I do have with them. Uh, their top four scorers, three of them do shoot 68.8% or worse at the free throw line. That said, Pittsburgh's numbers are very much built on sand, in my opinion. They get that big win against Duke. You gotta wonder about a fat and happy spot for them. It's a Pittsburgh team that is in the top 40 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but if you look at them against the likes of Jacksonville, North Carolina and just pounded them into oblivion, and then against better offenses, even that game against Duke, it's not like the defense was tremendous. It very much does vary. Now, Carlton Carrington, he's gonna be the most versatile player out there on the floor. 13 points, 5 boards, 4.5 assists. Love what he's been able to bring to the table for the team, and then you've got Blake Inson, who's been able to give you 18 and a half points, stands on tables while shooting 42% from three-point range. Absolutely love to see it for a Pittsburgh team has been more efficient. They are only turning the ball over about 10 times for contest, but this is also a Pittsburgh team that's not quite the same when they're on the road. The one thing that has been the concept for them, being able to guard the three-pointer. They're a top 30 team in all of college basketball.
basketball with that regard. Once again, though, you've got a Georgia Tech team that really doesn't focus on that. Georgia Tech, top 45 team in the country with regards to a percentage of misses that resulted in an offensive rebound with Bate and Dongo leading that 12 points sign and that boards. And he's been able to pop some threes himself when it comes to this Pittsburgh team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're giving up about eight points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. It's been a Georgia Tech team that's been a little bit all over the place with regards to their defense who aren't 17th in the country with this regard, but they're giving up more than 10 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home. I do think that with someone like an Indongo, he's going to be able to match up with Frederico, Frederico, Zach Austin, all these guys to be able to keep this team lively. I do think that in the end, Pittsburgh does pull it out because I do have my concerns with the Georgia Tech free throw shooting, but here at the three, I'm going to be willing to take the points, set my number at two, and with regards to Soto, I did set it out at 144. I do think that for Georgia Tech, they're going to be able to find some looks, and I think that this is a nip and duck game, but these are a pair of teams that I do think are going to be able to do an okay job of taking away each other's strength with Georgia Tech being able to do a relatively solid job down low, and Georgia Tech, a top 80 team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage as well. So I'm going to be looking at this total under, and we'll take anything north of a deuce with Georgia Tech. 635, 636 on the bang board. Duke hits the road face-off against Louisville. Louisville is an underdog of 14 points at home. Totals between 152 and 152.5. And May my number 13. I'm going to be willing to take the points. You've got a Duke team as probably going to be all sorts of PO'd after they lose that game to Pittsburgh, but this is a Duke team that the last few games, they've been wobbly with their defense, giving up 79 points to Georgia Tech, giving up 80 points to Pittsburgh, a little bit less than terrific after they were just absolutely pounding teams. Prior to that, they had given up 66 points or fewer in each out of their last four games, and as a matter of fact, they had given up 70 points or fewer, and I believe it was each out of their last eight ever since that Arkansas game. So, I do think that Duke is going to be able to get back to basics with regards to their defense, and I do think that as a result, this is a total that's at too high. Semi-total 147, so looking under, I do think that Kyle Filipowski is going to have himself a day. He's averaging two blocks, three assists, eight and a half boards, 18 points per contest. Duke as a whole, they shoot 37.9% from three, and Filipowski is shooting north of 41% from three-point range. That at some point just is not fair. As for Duke, overall in the college basketball landscape, 24th in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage, but they shoot 41.1% from three-point range at home, 31.7% in a road slash huge court environment, and you've got a Louisville team that, honestly, they don't get too much of a boost at home. If you take a look at their metrics, home and road, both on offense and on defense, they really don't get a whole lot out of their crowd. I don't know how, I don't know why, maybe people are just out on them, but I mean, that has been interesting to take a look at, to say the least. But for Louisville, I do think that Brandon Hundley Atfield is going to do an okay job on the glass. Still loses the battle, but gives you 10 and a half points, eight boards. He's able to throw in there occasionally a block or two as well. But it's really been Mikey James who's been able to elevate this team. He's giving you 14 points, five and a half boards. Now shooting 41.5% from three point range. Guy's been on fire recently, 16 plus points in four of the team's last five games, four plus rebounds in every one of these contests. And for Louisville, they're still a rudderless and sad team, but they've been turning the ball over less recently. They're down to about 12 turnovers per game. Sky Clark seems to be getting down the offense a little bit more. He and Trey White, both between about 12.5 to 13.5 points per contest. And though Louisville is still a sad excuse of a defensive team giving up 80 plus points in four of their last five games, offense has looked a little bit better, getting to at least 70 in four of their last five games. I do think the Duke puts the clamps down a little bit more defensively, and Duke wins this game, and probably by double figures, I think we've went a little bit too far here in a road spot. So, did set my line at 13. I'm going to be one take 14 with Louisville, and made my total of 147. So, also diving in on the under. 637, 638 on the banking board. It is Syracuse. They play us of Florida State. Florida State is an underdog of four points. Your total is 150 to 150 and Made my total 154. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. This Florida State team has been playing at one of the most rapid paces in all of college basketball, going up against a Syracuse team that is not shy to run as well. Florida State 
45th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but it really hikes up when they're on the road. In a roadside shoot-to-court environment, they're a top 25 team in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and I don't think this Florida State team has necessarily been magical on defense. They are outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against the Syracuse team that has been a little bit better defensively. They're a top 125 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, something that we never really used to see under Jim Beheim for Syracuse. They do give up 10.1 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than on the road as they are currently clocking in. More in that neighborhood of about 85th in the country in terms of defensive efficiency and you do have a nice go-to score for the Syracuse team and Judah Mintz who's been able to supply 18 points. He's been able to give you about 35.5% from three-point range, four and a half assists, 2.2 seals per contest and Malik Brown is also giving you 2.2 seals per contest. Among power conference teams, I think that this is one of just three that have two guys giving you at least 2.2 seals per contest and then for J.J. Sarlin, the three-point shooting percentage is starting to come along from him. He's shooting 32% from the outside after he was ice cold to begin the season. 12 points per contest, but I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be a little bit nip and tuck. I did set my number at a 6.5. I think that you're going to get some late-game falling to help out with that over, but I do think that Florida State being a little bit overvalued here because this is just not the same Florida State team that we're used to seeing on the glass. Jameer Watkins has been able to give you about six rebounds per game, and they've been able to get Jalen Ganey back in the fold, but he hasn't given you too much. Baba Miller, in my opinion, has been a bit of a disappointment as more of a true low-post presence as the Florida State team has currently 231st in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. And that's not Syracuse's forte. Syracuse is about 283rd in the country, so they're leaving something to be desired there as Copeland down low. It's been able to give you about 5.5 to 6 rebounds per game, but with Florida State being able to get into the fold, Primo Spears hasn't necessarily elevated the team. It's giving you 11.5 points on 22% three-point shooting. That's just not necessarily cutting it. You've been dealing with Cam Corrin being in and out of the fold. He's come back, but he's outscored seven points or fewer in three out of the team's last four games. There's just no consistency whatsoever with this Florida State team, other than the fact that they're probably going to give up points. They've given up 74-plus in four of their last five games. How they went on a four-game win streak before losing to Clemson, I have absolutely no idea, but that said, this is a Syracuse team that they themselves have been all over the place with their defense. In their last five games, they have given up 86, 59, 103, 58 and 69 points. So it has been wild to say the least. I do think that you're going to get a higher scoring affair because I do think that you get a lot of possessions. I think that this is going to be just close enough for late game falling. As I did set my number at a 6.5, I'm willing to lay up to 6 with Syracuse and did make my total of 154.5. So looking over and going to be willing to lay it with the Q. 639, 640 on the banging board. Northern Illinois is going to be playing with Toledo. And Toledo, a road favorite of 4.5 points. So this game is 159. And with Toledo. I did set them as a favorite of five points. So this is a number that I'm going to be willing to lay. I don't want to be going any further than the four and a half, but I'm willing to go to the four and a half as it is a Toledo team that certainly once again lacks on defense while outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And this has been an offense that hasn't been what it was a season ago. Last year, they were literally number one in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. And this is a Toledo team coming off of scoring just 62 points against Central Michigan. They've actually been held below 70 points each other last two games. That said, for Toledo, they've given up 72 points or fewer in four of their last five games. And something I think comes to an end going up against a Northern Illinois team that is not efficient. They're outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but this is a Northern Illinois team that is currently a wreck on defense. You've got 362 Division I teams, and they are 347th in all of college basketball. There's points slot on a per possession basis, and they really don't get any sort of a boost at home. They're a bottom 10 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. 
Texas in their friendly confines. So that is rough to say the least. It is a Northern Illinois team that has David Quaid, Zarek Nutter being able to combine for about 33.5 points per contest. You've had about five boards out of Nutter, and then you've been able to have the gentleman from Switzerland and Yannick Conan Niederhauser be able to give you about five rebounds per game. Problem is, he's now out of the fold. He's been missing the last three or four games, and the team is still dealing with the injury to Keyshawn Williams, who was averaging 18 points per contest for the team a season ago. So you've got a little bit of a rough ordeal there for a Northern Illinois team that they should shoot 36% from three, but also 66% at the free throw line. They are turning the ball over 13 times for contest. And when it comes to Northern Illinois, 312th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot north of 38% from the outside. So that has been a little bit of an issue. This is a Toledo team that they themselves, they are going to give up the arc. Toledo, 245th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. But with this Toledo team, you do have someone in Raheem Moss who's able to be a little bit of a do-it-all guard for the team. He's been able to supply the team with 16 points per contest, chipping in there two and a half assists, one and a half steals per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but that's why you've got Mr. Dante Maddox shooting north of 40% from three-point range. He, along with Tyler Cochran, have been able to combine for about three and a half steals per game. It's a Tulio team that they still only turn the ball over about 11 times per contest. They've slowed down just a little bit with regards to their tempo, but they're getting a little bit more out of some of their ancillary pieces, with Northern Illinois being one of the worst rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. That kryptonite of Toledo, that is not going to be unearthed in this one. I do think that Toledo can still be able to do a solid job in terms of their offense against the Northern Illinois team that they have now given up 78 plus points in each other last four games. So I do think that this is going to be a nice up-tempo high-scoring affair. I did set my total at a 163, so a circumstance where I'm going to be looking at the over. That was Toledo, one late to four and a half with them. 641, 642 on the bank board. Northern Iowa plays us Evansville. Evansville finds themselves as 13 to 13 half point underdogs. 142 to 142 and a half is your total. And I did set Evansville as an underdog of 12 points. Here at 13 plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Northern Iowa team that I just can't buy in on defensively. Now, for Evansville with Ben Humor Riches out of the fold, this team has really struggled. They're now outside the top 200. Turns the points a lot on a per possession basis, giving up 10.3 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. But for Northern Iowa, 189th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They've been better recently, but they only give up about two points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot record environment. So they're not getting a lot from being in their friendly confines. It is a Northern Iowa team that is able to bomb it from three-point range. We've gotten really good production out of Bowen Bourne. He was a little bit slow out of the gates, but now he's been able to give you about 14 or so points per contest from three-point range. He's shooting about 33%, but take a look at things. Ever since the first, like, three, four weeks of the season, well north of 35% there. Nathan Isey, he shoots 42 percent from the outside with 14.5 points per game, but for Northern Iowa, you got two guys on the roster that average more than four rebounds per game. That'd be Heisey, a lot of Titan Anderson, even though you do have someone that stands right around 6'11", and Jacob Hudson, he just hasn't necessarily given you a lot down low. They go up against a bunch in Evansville that certainly they have not been the world's greatest team on the glass, 268th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Northern Iowa, they're more around 167th, but with this Evansville team, you do have Yasan Tumi, who I think is going to be able to do a nice job being able to control things down low. Six half boards, seven and a half points per contest for a Evansville team that's still shooting about 34% from three-point range. Laid just a big giant egg against Drake 
Rangers. They only scored 48 points in that one, and with Human Richards out of the fold of the team, scored 64 points or fewer for their last five games. So this has been a big, giant issue for them, and I will give credit where credit is due. Northern Iowa has now given up 60 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Part of it is they've been going up against some of the lower-tempo teams in the conference. Murray State is a little bit of a good shooting team, but they're not a team that plays up-tempo. UIC, Southern Illinois, they're two teams that play fairly slow as well. So I do think that they benefited a little bit from that regard, and this is an Evansville team that certainly has been rocky without Ema Riches, but I do think that they're going to erupt a little bit more here against a Northern Iowa team that they hit a really good stretch with regards to uh, the overall defense in their last four games. I think that that's going to rise up just a little bit here in Evansville. They have been getting tortured on defense themselves. So, so they told 144, looking at the over, and with Northern Iowa made them a 12-point favorite, so going to be looking at the points with Evansville. 643, 644 on the betting board. Belmont hits the road face off against Illinois State, and Illinois State does find themselves as a one-half point favorite with your total 144.5. I said Belmont is a three-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. This is a Belmont team that, without question, is having their issues offensively there. Well, outside the top 200, there's a point slot on a per-possession basis, but it's not like this Illinois State team has been anything impressive either. They're 147th in the country towards a point slot on a per-possession basis, not giving you really any sort of better effort at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. I will say for Belmont, they are giving up about 15.3 points more per one hour possessions when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. But for Belmont, this team still is 22nd in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage, shooting 38.2% from distance when they're in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. They've actually been better away from home rather than when they have been at home going up against an Illinois State team that they really don't do a good job of being able to pop it from distance, shooting 27.5% for the outside. That is a bottom 30 mark in all of college basketball. And it's not like this Illinois State team is doing a supreme job of being able to control the glass. Miles Foster, like Kendall Lewis, they've been able to combine for about 12.5 boards, 19 points, per game, but I mean, for Illinois State, you don't have a single guy on the roster that is giving you north of two total points as far this season, actually three total points this season, and shooting north of 34.5% from three-point range, so that's a big issue for them. Darius Perford has been able to give you about 13.5 points per contest, and Dalton Banks about 3.8 assists, 10 points per contest, but it's also a team that they turn the ball over 12 times per contest, and I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep up with a Belmont team that does have so much size and versatility, with Malik Dia, along with Kay Tyson, both give you 17-plus points per contest, combining for about 11.5 rebounds and 40% three-point shooting. It's a Belmont team that also has Jacoby Gillespie along with Keyshawn Davidson, combining for eight assists, right around about 4.5 turnovers per game. The turnovers are a little bit unsightly, but Illinois State not doing a great job of being able to wrestle the ball away. It is a Belmont team that, with regards to their defense, has fallen on some tough times, giving up 80-plus in each other last three games. Meanwhile, it's an Illinois State team that they just can't put the ball in the basket right now. This is an Illinois State bunch that Last time they exceeded 71 points in a game, you have to go back eight games ago when they played against North Dakota State. So it has been a rough state of affairs for them. They've got a bad offensive team against a bad defensive team. I do think that Belmont, in the end, with their versatility, wins out. I'm making them a three-point favorite, so looking at Belmont outright on the money line. I do think that this game is going to be close enough for late game falling as well, which is why I did set my total at 145. So looking over and going to be looking at Belmont on the money line. 645, 646 on the betting board. Creighton plays us to Xavier. Xavier finds themselves as underdogs of eight to eight and a half points. Total between 147 half and 148 did set Xavier as an underdog of eight and a half points. So you're at the eight. It's a max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I am going to be willing to lay it. It's a Xavier team that's been very wobbly all season long in terms of their overall offense, but the defense has been a very good concept for this team, and it's much better than what we saw a season ago. Xavier, in terms of points, a lot on a per possession basis, right around 72nd, and they are giving up about four and a half points fewer per one arm possessions this season rather than a season ago. You have to wonder if getting that 
that triple overtime win in which game with some controversy for Creighton is exactly what they need to get going because they were looking a little bit dormant offensively, but this has been a team defensively that has been right there all season long, about 51st in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and you've got a really nice big three with this Creighton bunch as you've got Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Ryan Kalkbrenner, all between 16.1 and 17.8 points per contest. Kalkbrenner, 7.5 boards, nearly 3 blocks per contest. Alexander, he's not only shooting about 30% from three, but six boards, four and a half assists, and then Chireman, four assists, eight and a half rebounds, and he's your main three-point shooter at 36%. Now you've got a trio of guys, Frank Farabello, Mike Miller, along with Isaac Trout. They're all shooting north of 40% from three, and why Greg McDermott doesn't go to his bench a little bit more for some of these guys has really been mind-numbing to me. You've got someone like a Frederick King, who does a solid job down low whenever he gets minutes, but his minutes are very inconsistent. And then you've got a Xavier team that, after their defense was looking solid towards the beginning part of conference play and has fallen down a little bit. They have now given up at least 70 points in three of their last four games. And for Xavier, the three-point shooting for this team, it's starting to rise up. They're shooting 35% from the outside. Quincy Oliveri, along with Jaitis Namasika. Hopefully I said that correctly. Both of these guys are shooting north of 43.5% from the outside. And Davion McKnight has been a little bit of a do-it-all guy. He was much of this when he was over at Western Kentucky. Five assists, CLF, four boards, 10.5 points. Doesn't shoot it great from three, but I needs a nice support to Quincy Oliveri and Desmond Claude, your main two scores registering about 34 points per contest. And for Creighton, no doubt about it, they gave up quite a few points in that triple overtime game against Seton Hall, but this defense is actually about what has been carrying them recently. Sands that triple overtime game, which I think that is very fair to throw that out the window. This team has out given up 72 points or fewer in each other last seven games. That was when they gave up the north of 80 spot to Alabama. I do think that Crane starting to get a little bit more online. This is a Crane team that's also been much different offensively when they've been at home rather than when they've been in a roadside shooter growing environment as it's a Crane team that at home from three-point range are shooting about 36% from the outside. That d- drops below 35% from the outside in a roadside shooter court environment and in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, they're getting right in the neighborhood about 16.5 points more per 100 possessions at home as well. So I do think that they do a solid job taking it to Xavier and I do think that the offense has now awoken. I set my total at a 148.5 here at the 147.5 looking over and one to lay up to 8 with Creighton. 647-648 on the banking board. Michigan, it's a road face off against Purdue. Purdue does find themselves as 17 to 17 half point favorites. Total between 152 and 153.5 Set my number at 16 and a half. 17 is my minimum buy point here. Keep in mind that Doug McDaniel's suspension is active here. It's only for road games. Why? I have absolutely no idea, but that's what you're looking at there, but it's a pretty team that they are obviously going to dominate this game down low. You've got Giant of the Year, Zach Eady giving you 23 and a half points, 11 and a half rebounds per game, and if you go back to when Michigan played the first time without Doug McDaniel, the defense was actually fine. Now it was against Maryland, so you need to have a little bit of a risk there, but they lost that game 64-57. to They did a fine job defensively. The offense just really had no life whatsoever as Jalen Llewellyn had to become the main ball handler for this team. He saw 33 minutes in that game and in the two games since then he has seen a grand total of 15 minutes and 7 points. He has been really all over the place since coming in for Princeton, so it's a big question mark as to what you're going to be able to get there. You have to be relying upon Nabari Burnett as well for this Michigan team, a guy that has been all over the place as well. I still think that I think 
think it was in that St. John's game where he had like 10 points in the first eight minutes or something like that. But, I mean, he can be a microwave scorer and then just go cold for the rest of the game. He's been able to supply the team with about 10 points, four and a half boards. It is a Michigan team that has Olivier Kamal and Terrence Williams combined and shoot about 40% from three between the two of them, 29 and a half points per game. But this is also a Michigan team that turns the points allowed on a per possession basis. They are outside the top 175 nationally and they're going against a Purdue team that has been pretty much as efficient with regards to their defense efficiency. Points allowed on a per possession basis as they were a season ago. And this is a Purdue team that they're one of the top teams nationally with regards to their rebound rate. They're 48th in the country with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage with having Braden Smith being able to step up giving this team north of five and a half assists, north of five boards, shooting over 40% from three-point range with Fletcher Lawyer doing a solid job from the outside, supplying 11.5 points on 43% three-point shooting. There's just too many weapons for this Michigan team to be able to stay with. That said, I do think that Michigan does just enough to be able to cover this game. I think that they're going to look to slow it down, make this game a little bit grimier and sloppier, and I think that they have mild success in doing so. I did set my total 154.5. I do have to set a high total just with how bad this Michigan team has been defensively, and this is a Purdue team that they have just been an absolute lightning rod with their offense this season. They're now up to a top 100 team in terms of total possessions per game, and for Purdue, they have gotten to at least 83 points in now four of their last five games, and they've also given up at least 70 points in four of their last five, so looking at the over, and it's 70 plus looking at the points with Michigan. 649, 650 on the betting board, San Diego State plays us Wyoming. Wyoming, an underdog of 17 to 17 half points, totals between 143.5 and 144.5, and with Wyoming, I did set them as an underdog of 17 points. Here at a 17.5, I am going to be willing to take them with Wyoming. It's a Cowboys bunch that has been tremendous with their three-point shooting, and have been tremendously bad at being able to take care of the ball, though. This Wyoming team has a very good go-to score in Sam Griffin, who's been able to supply 18 points, three and a half assists on 42% three-point shooting, and a cool cot. Also shoots a little bit north of 42% from three, 15 points per contest. Between the two of them, though, right around six turnovers per game for a Wyoming team that they do shoot 39.8% from three-point range, and you'd think that Wyoming would have just absolutely dramatic home and road splits, and on offense, they're pretty big. Offensively, they're scoring about 19.7 points more per one hour possessions at home, rather than in a road slash shoot score environment, but if you look at their defensive splits, they're actually giving up about 3.6 points more per one hour possessions at home, rather than in a road slash shoot score environment, so I do find that to be rather fascinating. Going up against the San Diego State team, that this just isn't the same San Diego State team that we saw ACs ago. They lost quite a few pieces. They're about 57th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they do benefit from being at the VAL Center. They are giving up 18.7 points fewer per one hour possessions at home. They're dealing with an injury to Darian Trammell, but he has not really done a lot along with Lamont Butler. Both of these guys give you between about 7.5 to 8.5 points per contest. It's really been Reed Sticks and Waters along with Micah Parrish in the backcourt combining for 22 points. You've got Waters shooting 42.5% from distance, and then Jaden Ladie has been Mr. Drew at all down low. 8.5 boards, 21.1 points per contest for a team that outside of them, you don't really have anyone else that gives you north of 4.3 rebounds per game, but this is still a team that's going to be able to win the rebound battle. Wyoming about 177th in all of college basketball. In terms of rebound rate, San Diego State, they're a top on our team with this regard, but when it comes to San Diego State, I think the big key for them, what are you going to be able to get out of Jay Powell moving forward? He had himself a very nice last few games against Nevada and Boise State. A combined 14 points, 13 rebounds. He has really been a little bit of an X-factor and a G-code for the team going up against a Wyoming team that you know that they're going to be looking to bomb it from three-point range. The San Diego State team, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, 20th in all of college basketball. So I do think that Wyoming is going to be fighting an uphill battle, but that's so with San Diego State. I just don't think that they've got enough firepower to be able to cover this number as well. So 
This is a number that I set at 17 out of 17 and a half. Going to be one. Take the points with Wyoming and did set my total at a 137 as well. So 17 and a half or more looking at Wyoming and we're going to be taking a look at this 143 plus under. 651, 652 on the betting board. Texas A&M plays us in Missouri. Missouri is an underdog of 11 to 11 and a half points. 143 and a half to 144 and a half is your total. And with Missouri, did set them as an underdog of 12 and a half points. I'm going to be one to lay with Texas A&M. Just feels like Texas A&M in general does have their swagger back. This is still a team that's been one of the worst in all of college basketball at being able to pop it from three-point range as a collective Texas A&M, 26.8% from three-point range. But Wade Taylor, who last year, he was able to shoot about 35.5% from three. He's up to about 29%, and he is coming off of a trio of really big performances. He has given the team a combined 91 points in the last three games. He's really putting the team on his back, and he's done it all while generating just four turnovers. So he's been able to do a tremendous job there. This is still a Texas A&M team that's in the top 20 in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Henry Coleman, along with Anderson Garcia, have been able to combine for about 16 and a half rebounds per game in Missouri. It's outside the top 175 with regards to their rebound rate. And A&M has still been the more efficient team in terms of not turning the ball over. They still only turn the ball over about 9.8 times for contests. And this is a Missouri team that they really do pride themselves on being able to generate those turnovers. It's a little bit of an all-or-nothing team with that regard. And for Missouri, they're 215th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 17.9 points more per one hundred possessions in a row outside shoot record environment rather than at home. Why Connor Vanover isn't seeing more minutes? I have absolutely no idea. They've been dealing with the injury to Caleb Grill who would certainly be able to help this team out defensively as well. You've got John East and Tamar Bats who have been able to do a solid job offensively. These are two guys that have been able to combine for in that neighborhood of about 28.5 points per contest and they're both shooting north of 47% from three-point and yet despite that, this team shoots 32.9% from the outside. It's just a rhymeless, reasonless team with this Missouri team that it just feels like they have a bunch of guys that have no idea what they're doing out there in terms of being able to play as a cohesive unit. It feels like they're all just playing for themselves at this point. Missouri, 197th in all of college basketball. The guards opponents, three-point shooting percentage in a roadside shoot career environment, allowing opponents to shoot about 36% from distance. So I do have my big-time issues there at Texas A&M. It just feels like they're starting to get a little bit more online. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slowdown game. Texas A&M still well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. So did set Texas A&M as a 12 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number and in terms of this total, set mine at a 144 and a half. I think that Missouri is just going to continue to give it up. This is a Missouri team that has now been torched for at least 75 points in far of their last five games and for A&M, they have been able to get to at least 73 points in each out of their last three games. So going to be looking at the over and going to be one to lay with A&M. 653, 654 on the betting board. Oklahoma State plays us at TCU. TCU is a four and a half point road favorite and your total between 144 and a half and 146 and a half made TCU the favorite of six points. So I'm going to be one to lay the four and a half. It's a TCU squad that played against absolutely nobody out of conference, but this defense as far as been able to back it up in conference. They had that great showing against Houston, being able to get the job done in that one. It's a TCU team that just as a whole, they're able to hit the glass by committee. You don't have anyone that gives you north of 5.7 rebounds per game. That'd be your top scorer, Emmanuel Miller. About 16.5 points per contest out of him, but I mean, this is a TCU team that at home, they have been a little bit more dominant than they have been on the road, but at the same time, they have been too bad on the road either. In terms of total points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is 
is a TCU team that is 16th in all of college basketball, going up against an Oklahoma State team that, if you look at them metrically, they're not horrible. They're 98th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They've been able to get quite a bit more offensively this year, shooting 35.5% from three after they were horrible from three-point a season ago, as we got Bryce Thompson, Longevance Ball, combining for about 26.5 points per contest, both shooting 35.5% from three and small, five boards, four and a half assists, um, do like his overall game, but it's a Oklahoma State team that as well. They turn the ball over 14 times for contest. They go up against a TCU team that, while they aren't what Iowa State, along with Houston are in the conference, at being able to generate turnovers, this is one of the better teams in all of college basketball. In terms of turnovers, forced on a per-possession basis, they are 24th in the country with this regard. This is an Oklahoma State team that as well has been able to do an okay job of guarding the three-point arc. It's not great. It's not terrible. They're clocking in right in the neighborhood of about 123rd, but you've got a TCU team that you have a whole bunch of pieces like Jameer Nelson Jr. that really doesn't shoot a lot from three-point range, but he's able to give you a few seals. He's able to chip in their 10-plus points per contest, and they're going up against a TCU squad that as well, they've done a nice job of not allowing a lot of threes. 45th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage with Oklahoma State not having those big men like Musa Cisse, the Boom Brothers of the past. You're looking at Keon Williams being your top rebounder with about 6.1 rebounds per game, and with TCU, a team that does turn the ball for quite a bit with about 13 half turnovers a game, generating those turnovers themselves, and having now Trey Tennyson shooting 48% from three-point range. I think they control this game and get the job done. Set my line at six. I'm going to be willing to lay it with TCU. And with this total, I did set it at a 146. This is a TCU team that's really spread themselves up. Top 75 team in terms of total possessions per game. So here at a 144 and a half to a 145 looking over and looking to lay it with TCU. 655, 656 on the main board. Virginia Tech plays us to Boston College. BC is a underdog of five to five and a half points. Totals between 148 and a half and 149 and a half. And with Boston College did set them as an underdog of six and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech team has had a bit of a wobble year thus far this season. The offense has not been quite what we were expecting it to be, but this team is doing a relatively solid job down low with Lynn Kidd being able to give you 14 points, seven boards, and it's a Virginia Tech team that just a few weeks ago was shooting below 33% from three-point inch as a collective. They're now shooting north of 36% as a collective, and they get to go up against a Boston College team that's 291st in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Now, Boston College has been one of the more efficient offenses in all of college basketball because they've got a guy by the name of Quentin Post who's gave, able to give you north of 16 points, seven boards, a true seven-footer that's shooting well north of 40% from three-point range, so he's been able to spearhead a unit that also has Quite a few guys have come in and have been able to really acclimate to their role. As you've been able to have Jaden Zachary, who was a great three-point shooter like two seasons ago, become an assisted turnover ratio guy of three, be that main floor general for the team. While Claude L. Harris plays a little bit more off the ball coming in from the Big South. He's been able to supply 14 points, shooting 39.5% from three-point for a team that only turns the ball over 9.4 times for a contest. Now, you've got a Virginia Tech team that is one that is going to give it up from beyond the arc a little bit as well, but it's not quite Quite to the extent of Boston College, Virginia Tech, in terms of their three-point shooting percentage defense, they're clocking in more in the neighborhood about 85th, giving up right around about 32% three-point shooting, and this is a Boston College team that they actually shoot a little bit better from three-point range on the road rather than at home, but this is also a Boston College team that sees quite a bit of a defensive drop-off when they are away from home as well. With this Boston College team, they are well outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 11.1 points more per one-hour possessions when they are away from home under Couture. 
for Virginia Tech, who's able to give you double figures. He's able to pop it well from three points. Sean Padula, I think he's going to be the most efficient guard in this game. He has been turning the ball over a little bit too much, 3.8 times for contest, but does give you 16 points per contest. He's been able to do a solid job being able to spot 18 plus points in four out of the team's last five games. So with Boston College, really not generating a lot of turnovers. And with Virginia Tech, really just getting into form in general with regards to their offense, scoring 70 plus in how far their last five games. I do think that Virginia Tech going to be able to get it done in a game involving a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play super duper fast, but they're pretty efficient on offense, pretty inefficient on defense. I did sum my total at a 146 half. Here at the 148 half, 149 half, I think we've gone a little bit too far with the tempo looking at the under and want to lay up to six with Virginia Tech. Now we have my DK Network right to pick. 657, 658 on the main board. BYU plays us to Houston. Houston is a road two and a half to three point favorite, and your total is 135 and a half to 136. And my right appears on BYU. I made them the two point favorite. Marquee game of the night, and I do think that this home court environment is going to be able to get the job done for BYU. Now, whether it's going to be money line or spread, that all depends upon if money lines are available when I need to post this up. So, there's a possibility that it might be just the plus three points. There's a possibility it might be the money line. Make it known. I'm going to be taking the money line myself, so don't be alarmed if you see, like, plus three. It's one of those cases where I do like BYU outright in this spot, but, I mean, it's a BYU team that is the most balanced team in all of college basketball. They're fifth in the country in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency, points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for this BYU team, you just have a plethora of scoring options. You've got six different guys giving you at least 9.3 points per contest, two guys that give you at least four assists per contest, as Dale and all, Lon Spencer Johnson, have both been able to do a really good job of being able to dole out the ball. Jackson Robinson is really the only out of your top five scorers that give you fewer than four rebounds per game. BYU has been able to be a dominant team with that regard as well. They're fifth in the country in terms of rebound rate. Houston is 13th, but with Robinson, he's your main scorer, shooting 37.5% from the outside. Now, if there is one difference between these two teams with Houston, they do a tremendous job with regards to their turnover ratio. They force north of 15.5 turnovers per game. They only turn the ball over 9.5 times for contest. BYU, they only force about 12.5 turnovers per game. So very solid at being able to take care of the ball, but that is the main difference that you do have between these two teams. And I love what Jamal Shedd is able to bring to the table for Houston. He's been able to supply the team with about like 10 points, 6 assists, multiple seals per contest, very good active hands. LD Cryer has been able to give you 15 points per contest from 3-point range. He's been able to stroke it at about a 35% clip, but I do think that this home court environment is something that we do need to be factoring in. You have to travel from Texas all the way out to the great state of Utah, and this has been a Houston team that, even though they're number one in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they have benefited from a cupcake schedule, most of which they've played at home. That is why Houston is allowing 24.4 points more per 100 possessions in a road slash neutral environment rather than at home. And you've got a BYU team that has very much benefited from being at home. On top of that, you've also got a Houston team that has 301st in college basketball and free throw shooting percentage at 67.3%. I think many of us, myself included, think that this is going to be a little bit of a nip and tuck game. BYU shooting 76.3% from the free throw line at home compared to that Houston free throw shooting percentage of 67.3%. I think can loom very large in this game. I do think that with Houston, even though they've got a lot of guys that are very athletic, a lot of guys that they're just going to pound the boards, I do think that with BYU, the fact that they've got so many guys that are such threats to be able to make it from three-point range, that is going to be just enough for them to be able to get it done in a game where both of these teams do a really good job of being able to shut down the three-point arc, and I do think that this is going to be a bit of a low-scoring slog. I set my total at 135. You're at the 135 and after 136. I'm diving under my write-up. That is going to be on BYU. I'll try to see if I can get a money line at the time that this needs to be published. There might not be money lines available, and that would just put me on the plus three. 
689-660 on the betting board. Portland plays host to San Diego. San Diego does find themselves as four to four and a half point underdogs. Their totals between 158 and a half and 159. And with San Diego, I did set them as underdogs of three and a half points. I'm going to be willing to take four plus with them. These are a pair of teams that, well, it's been rough for them out there in the WCC to say the least. Portland outside the top 275 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but they've got the most versatile player out there on the floor in Tyler Robertson. 17 points, four assists, three and a half boards, shooting 39% from three point range, but he spearheads a Portland team as giving the ball away left and right. Portland about 13 and a half turnovers per game. It is a Portland bunch that just has not been able to do a ton on glass, but you have two Yamanachi Williams coming in from the Southland. He's been able to give the team seven and a half rebounds per game in the three games that he's been out there. And Tyler Harris, 12 and a half points, seven and a half boards. Do like what he's able to bring to the table as well, but this is a Portland team that is getting completely gashed on defense. Now I will say they are a much better team at home rather than on the road. At home, they are giving up 24.7 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. It is still a Portland team, though, that's 343rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and it's a squad that has given up 95 plus points at each other last three games, all while scoring in three of the last five games fewer than 70. It's not great, to say the least. Meanwhile, for San Diego, they're coming off of giving up at least 80 points in each of their last five games. So, good old situation of something's got to give. When it comes to San Diego, the Deuce is loose. Deuce Turner, along with Wayne McKinney the third, have been able to combine for 29 points per contest. They're both shooting about 36.5 to 37% from three-point range. It's a San Diego team that doesn't necessarily have a ton down low, but Stephen Jamerson the second has been pretty solid with that regard. He's going to give you about 6.5 points, 7 boards. Uh, I've liked what I've seen there. San Diego team that does turn the ball over about 14.5 times for contest. Um, both of these teams have their woes there. San Diego overall for the season has been their better defensive team, but it is a case where they've really regressed with this regard as well, and they're the, a little bit less efficient on offense. Uh, good old situation of something's got to give here. I do think that it's going to come down to which team is going to have a little bit of willingness to be able to guard the three-pointer for San Diego. They're about 127th with this regard. Portland, 303rd. So, a circumstance where I did set my line at a 3.5, 4+, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Portland, and I made my total 161F. I don't think either team gets a lot of stops, so looking at the over and going to be taking a look at the points with San Diego. 661, 662 on the betting board for us. So, say Poise, so Poise, say Poise, say a 6 to 6 half point road favorite. Total between 136 and 136F. Did set my total at a 137. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. It is a Fresno State team that certainly has been lacking a little bit of something on defense. And for Fresno State, 344th in the country in terms of opponents' three point shooting percentage going up against a Boise State team that's going to be having none of that. They are 15th in the country with that regard. And I think that that's going to be the big difference maker. I did set Boise State as a seven point road favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. When it comes to Fresno State, they've actually been much better at being able to shoot from three-point range this season than a season ago. Last year, they were a bottom 25, bottom 30 team with this regard. This year, they're shooting about 37% from three-point range at home. That does compare to about 30.7% in a roadside shoot court environment, but you've had Donovan Yap be able to give you about 9 to 10 points per contest. He's been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. You bring in Xavier sell from Wyoming for about 10 points, high 30s three-point shooter, and then for Fresno State, man, that's been able to bring it all together is Isaiah Hill, 12 and a half points, 5.9 assists per contest. Problem with this Fresno State team is the turnovers. They have been turning the ball over about 
13.7 times per contest, and they also shoot about 64.9% at the free throw line. They actually don't do a bad job down low. Anyak Boyaki along with Eduardo Andre 3000 have been able to give you about 13 or so rebounds per game. They do go up against the Boise State team that they're just a no-nonsense team as Taysen Dagenart is able to pop it from three-point range. Does a pretty exceptional job on the glass for a Boise State team that they're about 65th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Fresno State clocking in just 205th for Boise State. This is a bunch that they could really use a little bit more facilitation and they appear to be finding that at Roddy Anderson. Anderson has been able to do a soft job being able to give you about 15 assists over the team's last four games. Has been able to just contribute a little bit more in general. It's been a little bit in and out of the fold just with regards to the starting lineup but when he's gotten minutes he's taken them and he's ran with them and then Jabuzo Egbo is going to be the best shooter in this game shooting 43.5% from the outside 14.5 points per contest and for Boise State they do a nice job of rebounding by committee. Of their top five scores four of them do give you at least 4.8 rebounds per game. That includes Cam Martin who's been very versatile at 6'9". About 2.5 assists 5.5 points 5.5 boards so I love what I've seen out of him. It's a Boise State team that is once again in the bottom 100 in terms of total possessions per game. They're really doing a nice lockdown job on defense. The last time Boise State allowed north of 70 points in a game. You have to go all the way back to the month of November when they were playing against Butler. They gave up approximately 70 points in that game. They also gave up 82 to Virginia Tech, but I mean, outside the first four games of the season, they haven't allowed north of 70 points. Meanwhile, this is a Fresno State team that they're certainly getting cooked with regards to their defense. 72 plus points surrender in four of their last five games. This is a team that's going to allow a whole bunch of open threes, and I do think that this is going to be a game that's close enough for late game fouling, which is why I'm going to be taking a look at the over semi total at a 137, and here in this spot, it's up Boise State as a seven-point favorite, so I'm going to be one to lay the number. We wrap things up with 663-664 on the betting board. UNLV plays those to Air Force. Air Force, an underdog of 11.5 to 12.5 points, 134.5 to 135.5 is your total. With UNLV, I did set them as an 11.5 point favorite. So now that we're getting to 12.5, I'm going to be willing to uh, take the points with Air Force. It's an Air Force team that, without question, it's been rudderless and strange for them all season long. But I do think that Air Force is going to be able to hold in there against a UNLV team that they had a really nice boost when they were able to get both of the Boone brothers back in reunion. United, but it's a team that is still 233rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fully recognize that they've gone through a rough patch having to go up against Utah State, Colorado State, New Mexico, teams like this, but they certainly have been starting to regress a little bit more defensively going up against an Air Force team that they themselves just have not been able to get anything going on offense. Air Force has not broken the 70-point plateau this calendar year after they were able to have a very nice offensive showing out of conference. They were playing against a bunch of cupcake teams, but for Air Force, you really do have a big three with this team. Ryan Petratus is your main man, 17 points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists, shooting 45.5% from three. Evan Taylor along with Bo Becker, these two guys have been able to do a really good job of being able to combine for about 32 and a half points per contest with Ethan Taylor stripping in there about three assists, a steal and a half per contest. And for Air Force overall, they do shoot 36.3% from three point range. And strangely for Air Force, this has been a team that has actually been better defensively when they've been on the road rather than at home. They're actually giving up six points fewer per one hour possessions in a roadside search for environment rather than at home but it's just a case where their offense takes a big giant nosedive when they throw it as well and then for UNLV you've got a guard that is able to really do a little bit of everything and Edron Thomas 12 points six half assists shooting 38% from three-point range with Luis Rodriguez being able to chip in there about 
12.5 points per contest, and it is a UNLV team that they, much like Air Force, outside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate. UNLV has done a solid job taking care of the ball, though, with about 10.5 turnovers per game. They've been dealing with the Jalen Hill injury for a very long time. He tried to return on January 6th, and now is back out of the fold, so has been a little bit less than helpful for the scene, but you do have quite a few guys. They're able to bomb it from three-point range. You've got some like a Jackie Johnson the third, who's been able to shoot about 39.5% from three-point range. I know that he's dealt with a few things as well that has sort of put him in and out of the fold with regards to the main lineup, and when you've got someone that's able to give you a block and a half per contest like Caleb Boone, that does help out the defense a little bit. I do think that Air Force continues to struggle offensively, but for UNLV, they themselves have been having their issues just with regards to consistency on offense, and they're outside the top 250 towards the total possessions per game as well, so I do think that this is going to be a bit of a low-scoring slog. I said my total 131 half, diving in on the under, and when it comes to UNLV, I did make them an 11.5 point favorite, so we'll take 12.5 with Air Force, and that'll wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family and Podcast. A big thanks to Nick Lawrence and of Mid-Major Madness for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind letters am. Leave me those on matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Monogram at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.